Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Six Rings Kane Show. As always, joined live uh, by my buddies Vish, Danny Gillette, and of course, Mr. Larry Bluestein. What's going on, fellas? How you guys doing? Good. Doing all right. Can't complain. Yeah, not too yeah. bad, right? Not, not too, too bad, bad, all things considered. All things considered, absolutely. Not too bad. Uh, we've got an absolutely kick-ass show for you guys tonight. Um, as I mentioned earlier on social media, we've got a very special guest coming on the show. Um, which uh, myself and Vish spoke to earlier today, um, Eric McLean. By the way, you got to say it the right way because it's not Eric McLean; it's Eric McLean. Yeah, it's two. It's it's, it's three two. words. It's Eric three words. McLean. Eric, Eric McLean, uh, um, college football analyst for uh, ESPN for the ACC Network, and also co-host on the Huddle with um, our very dear, our very dear uh, comrade, Mr. Coach Mark Rick, and EJ Manuel, and, and the rest of the crew over there. So uh, we've got a really special interview uh, segment with him coming up in just a moment. However, uh, you know, listen, we've got a lot. By the way, we got a, a lot of breaking news as well um, uh, uh, for uh, for the roster. There's there's been some some uh, interesting uh, developments recently coming up. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, Texas A&M fellas, uh, you know, me and blue, we, it's so funny though, blue, because a lot of the stuff that we spoke about on that, on that pregame show keys to the game and what Miami needed to do to win. They got a, they got two out of the three, more or less. They got a, they, they hit on like 75 to 80% of the keys that they needed to, 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 to kind of, uh, produce to win that football game. Um, obviously we all know they came up short 17 to nine against Texas A&M, but this is, man, this is, this is interesting. This is, this is, I came out of the, uh, I came out of that game feeling, feeling some type of way, right. Feeling a little different than I thought maybe I would. 
Um, and, and that's in a good way, in a positive way, because I think that there's a lot to build off of uh, that win. It looks like we can battle with the big boys now. And um, when I mean the big boys, I mean the SEC, the big bad SEC. looks like Miami um, has uh, been able to, to, to kind of write that a little bit. And, and to be honest with you, Blue, and I'm going to go to you first, this is a lot of the same rosters last year, right? A little bit of a turnover, some transfer portal guys that have made a difference. You can see that. But and we'll get into some of the players that surprised us or that continue to surprise us are playing really, really good football. But first, I kind of want to get get an overall perspective. What you thought about the game in general uh, from start to finish, atmosphere, play, uh, uh, coaching, all, all of it. Blue, give me your, give me your thoughts. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I thought, <clears throat> you know, Miami came in and, and I'm sure, you know, you have a Mario Cristobal as a head coach and he's not going to let you know, all the environment get into you. And it's easy to say that you won't, but I just always thought Miami had a chance. You know, there's a lot of games that you that you see, and even though they ended up 17-9, to nine, you say, Miami never really had a chance in the game, but that's not true. They held the they held the ball for, geez, how much more minutes? Um, I was looking at it. It was uh, 39 minutes, right? No, well, they had, yeah. I mean, they, they had 34 minutes at 25. And the other thing that that's staggering for the first time 2000, since 2000, a team had 27 first downs and didn't score a touchdown. Uh, so yeah, that's a pretty unbelievable stat, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and Miami outgained them, you know, nearly 400 yards to one to 264, and on and on and on. But at the end of the day, nobody made a big play. And obviously, guys, we've been screaming for that playmaker for the longest time. Uh, and nobody really came. There's, you know, you could you could blame Tyler Van Dyke all you want, but he had eight eight balls that I counted drop. Eight balls that were catchable. Obviously, there was one that may have been behind um, a Redding, but he still could have had it. Uh, that's the thing that's really makes you optimistic and disheartened at the same time, because what's gonna what what do you see coming out of this game that's gonna change? in ACC play, forget about middle Tennessee state, but what, what's going to make it change against North Carolina and Virginia and Virginia tech, you know, to be honest with you, Texas A&M is okay. Georgia would beat them by five touchdowns. Alabama's going to beat them by five touchdowns. It'll be 52 to seven. Alabama's just because they're big up front and they, they make plays. They have playmakers. If Miami would have struck with two or three plays downfield where the receiver got open and went the distance, that wouldn't even have been a game. It really this wouldn't have would, been. Yeah, the game would have been over real quick. Yeah, right. so that's what I'm saying. Miami is right now doesn't have playmakers, and that's what dif- differentiates them on offense with some of the heavyweights in the country, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas, because they have playmakers. Miami doesn't have any. They have a great running game. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade Miami's two running backs for basically anybody. They're both really good. They both have shown that they could run the ball. Uh, but from a passing standpoint, we don't have a guy that could come into that huddle and say, hey, I could blow this guy away. You know, like KT Osborne did, like uh, like Rambo did last year, like, you know, with his 14 catches and his 12 catches a game for like 150 and getting into the end zone. Right now, Miami doesn't have that dude. And will they get it this year? I don't even know. I mean, I couldn't say who it's going to be. I mean, and and you know what? For all the naysayers that have been uh, talking about Restrepo since they signed him, oh, he's a one double A kid and he's this or that. 
They hurt without him. They hurt without him. Brashard did nothing, nothing. And that's what I'm saying. When you put in the reality, Miami lacks the playmakers. You know what I'm saying, DJ? They they lack the big guy. They lack they lack that the guy to go downfield that can you know that could beat everybody. And it showed that they had enough offense to move the ball, but they didn't have that last. Hey, I could beat that guy. You know, and and you got to give Mallory credit. Caught six balls. I mean, albeit you know they were. They were okay. I think Arroyo made that really nice play, I think, for, what, 35 yards or so, how many it was. But when it comes down to it, guys, on offense right now, Miami's just an average team, maybe not even an average team, because if you don't have – you could get 400 yards all you want, but if you're not putting it in the end zone, you might as well have 110 yards because that's what happened. And you missed two field goals. Obviously, that kind of hurt a little bit, but – from the defensive standpoint, I've got no complaints. I really don't. They were out there, you know, I mean, and making plays, whether it be Williams or my old my old buddy, uh, the linebacker that no one likes. <laughs> but uh, they were all making plays. I think that they did extremely well in coverage. Uh, they got good pass rush when they needed to. Um, but that's my assessment. Um, Miami – uh, the only thing that's holding them back from getting to that level is getting some offensive playmakers. Yeah, I would even go as far as saying that we haven't really had that playmaker. Um, you know, because R- Rambo was great last year, obviously. You know, Mike Harley was was kind of like the security blanket last year as well. He, you know, he played well and didn't play well the last two seasons. Um, and then the year before that, uh, you had KJ Osborne, like you mentioned, Blue. But I'll be honest with you, like, when I think of a playmaker, a guy that's just going to completely just take over a game, the last guy I think about is Amon Richards. That's the last guy I really think about that could do that, right? Yeah. So we haven't had we haven't had that guy in, in a little bit, right? We've, we've had good well, plays here and there. We've had guys that have made some plays. Like, that's the first guy that kind of comes to my mind. So, so the, the thing yeah, is, so, so I, I agree with Blue that, like, that's the next level. If you want to get to that top five level, right. you've got to have those playmakers. Here we just need to make the plays that were there, like catch the ball. Like that doesn't like this game was like Lisa, we dominated this game so thoroughly that making the easy plays would have been enough here. But you could also see the gulf and like how to Blue's point, that talent gap of to get where we need to go, the gap was obvious because they were not getting the separation that you would see like Alabama's receivers get or Georgia's receivers get. You know, even these schools were like, oh, they're looking for their playmaker. They still have four or five guys that would walk in and start for us. And so I think, you know, there's a there's a clear gap there. But in this game, I mean, catch the ball. Like, yeah. just, I mean, the game ended exactly how fitting. It was like poetic, just, you know, <laughs> Paul yeah. going off the receiver, right? And I mean, and I think, you know, if you string a few of those together, it relaxes the whole team. They settle in a little bit more. The longer that went on where in their heads they know they're dominating this opponent and they're losing. It just gets to you. It put, just amps the pressure up on all the receivers now. And then they, they're thinking about it. They're thinking about Van Dyke started thinking. I could see him kind of double clutching some of his throws. Got into all their heads that they should be up and they're not. And yeah. and once that, the longer that game went on, it's almost like the pressure just kept getting more and more. And they started making more and more of those, you know, those simple mistakes, which, you know, it's just basic execution stuff, um, which would have been good enough to win this game. Now, if you're playing better teams than this, um, no. Um, now, because they made all those mistakes, they lost. But the defense was outstanding. 
really both both of their drives were the first drive of the first half, first drive of the second half. Jimbo came out the good script to start both halves, and that was pretty much it because the other touchdown was off the muff punt. So, I mean, the defense really did everything you could ask of them. So, so that was great, and really the offense, the plays were on the field despite the talent drain, which is definitely there because we had more playmakers we would have hit them over the top because we would have had plays where the guy's five yards behind the defense. And then, right. you know, you're not going to miss those. Instead, we had like one yard of space, two yards of space. You still expect them to make the catch, but it's more difficult. So, you know, if we had better playmakers, like Blue point, we would have blown them out in the first half. The game would have been over. But, you know, just the plays that were there, just inopportune <laughs> drops at the wrong time, missed the block at the wrong time. Um, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the first half when we missed that long field goal, there were two plays that were – I mean, we can talk about some of Gas's play calling, but there were two plays that were perfect for those opportunities. One was the the bubble screen where the slot receiver missed his block. Um, I think it was Brinson, but I'm not sure. Um, but missed his block, and then there was no one behind him. If he just holds that block, it's a touchdown. And then the same sequence of plays, the one where Paris dropped it when had the whole side of the field open. And, you know, just you got to make, make those plays, and he didn't. But the reason that there's – we actually talked about this a little bit <clears throat> against Southern Miss – as much as effective as this running game is, and the running game is awesome, if you're going to grind out first downs, you're reducing your margin of error because you're shortening the game. You're not going to get the ball as much. And, you know, if you're constantly in third and four, third and five, third and two, third and three, you have to execute every play well. Because if you're picking up nine, 10 yards of play, 11 yards of play, one drop pass, all right, we'll get it on the next play. But if you're doing it four or five yards, four or five yards, you can't have that lapse, and those drops just kill drives. Um, miss blocks kill drives. There's a little bit – It's but the, to, actually, I tweeted this. It was almost verbatim what Blue said earlier. I was encouraged and embarrassed at the same time. Like, how can we not catch the ball? On the other hand, when's the last time we went on the road against a good team and pushed them around like this? It's, kind of, it's such an awkward feeling. It's kind of, like we might actually be really good and just happen to, like, not rise to this occasion here. Right. We're gonna obviously gonna get a shot later in the year at Clemson, which you know is another big time road test. Maybe we'll 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 fare better there with this under our belt. But it really felt like the game was there for the taking, not because Texas A and M gave to us, because we we basically dominated it and then made so many mistakes they won anyway. I, I will say, like I would feel I feel better, like in terms of program trajectory, you know, thinking long term, one, two, three years from now, losing this way than if we'd won the way A and M did with their quarterback going 10 at 20 for a hundred something yards. And then the other team just completely shooting itself in the foot repeatedly. And you know yeah. why, you know how you know that? Cause how many games the last few years did we win? And we were like, I still think we're terrible. Whew, we won. Thank <laughs> God. But, oh God, I do not think this team is very good. Like we've won games the way A&M won that game last, last week. So I, I feel pretty good about the program. I just want to answer your, I just want to respond to what you said, Jazz and what the Vish said. Vish says that, you know, catch the ball once in a while. Those are playmakers. See, then if they caught the ball, Vish, then they'd be playmakers. And that's that's the point. We don't have it. To your point, Jazz, if we had Rambo and Harley, Miami would have blown them away. Because those are two. Whether You know, when I don't, you know, you go all the way back to Amon Richards. No, no. You had Rambo who could catch anything. So, if he would stretch the defense like he didn't, and Harley had that that slot position, Miami would have killed them. They wouldn't have been able to cover those, especially as as Vish said, if you're completing passes and moving the ball upfield, that was it. 
So that's what was lacking. Obviously, you know, we could dwell on that for a million years, and but until it changes, we're going to every big game, we're going to be saying, you know what, if he could have caught that or he couldn't catch that. And to me, reliable running backs, they, they could run the ball. We, we, I think we just need Rooster to filter out of the backfield a little bit more and get paired with a linebacker. And I was thinking that during the game, get his ass up field. Let's see. I don't think a safety is going to be able to stick with him. And at least he has some hands. So to me, I think Paris froze at two times that he shouldn't have, uh, you know, the, the one drop there that, that hurt. And then there was one run where he had a chance right over off right tackle to take it a little bit towards the garden. He would have been gone because there was nobody on that side. See, so to me, a few plays like this, but I kept thinking there's no way that this team would ever even stay on the field with Georgia. No way. Georgia, they, they, Georgia's linebacker, I mean, a tight end is going to be the number one player in the country. I mean, they're not going to stop him. And I'm thinking, you know what? And I said what Vish said, and I agree. Miami is a few players or a few plays away from being that team. They really are. Where Texas A&M looks like they regressed. I'll bet you they don't win nine games. And they're supposed to win 11 and 12 and all that. They're not going to win. There's no way they're going to touch Alabama. There's just no way. I mean, unless Alabama's bus fails to get there, they just don't. They cannot match up with them. And Blue, you mentioned those two years of, like you said, they're two years ahead of us in yeah. recruiting. Yeah, depth-wise, from a recruiting perspective, right? They're 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 a couple of years ahead of us. You can see the, the it really didn't show that on the field per se, right? And but I think the biggest difference, would you agree, was maybe the coaching at that point. Well, you know, because the you play calling, the, the play calling, so much. The offensive play calling was suspect sometimes. It really was. I mean, you know, sure. I mean, I mean, and and let you know, we were zone, all over. The red zone, it was, it was it was not great, right? And we were all over Lashley last year. Oh, what is he doing? Why? You know what? That's, you know, at the end of the day, and like Vish pointed out, if you don't have the play, if you don't, any, uh, we could call plays if people hold on the balls. You know, so obviously, oh, wow, he should have what? He should have hold, held on to the ball. I mean, he should have done this. He should. No, if 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 Redding makes a circus catch or somebody makes a big play, which is a playmaker, takes it to the house, it's over. This, you know, that 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 crowd would have been out of it. And I wish you were there. The crowd got into it at the beginning and then they seemed to say, wow, this is boring football. Yeah. So you know? Just on the crowd, I do think so. My God, they have so many organized chairs. It is beyond annoying. It's just like it's 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 just like okay. sit down already. Well, it's it's the the the, the yell leader, which is the dude in the white, has a signal, and they all do the same chair. Nothing to do with what's going on in the game. So, to, in my opinion, it actually makes it less intimidating. I talked about this before the game because I've been to multiple games there. I think everyone knows I was born there at this point. But um, and instead of like like I said, they're some stadiums I've been to, like Blacksburg, I've been to these like places where the people are nuts, and you're always kind of on edge. Like, are they going to like go full psycho on us? <laughs> like that that air of unpredictability actually amps up the intimidation factor. There's none of that here. They're doing what it doesn't matter if they were down twenty or up twenty. It's the same cheers. It's the same chance. And after a while, it kind of just becomes back. It's like white noise. Um, yeah, so yeah. I don't really think it affected us. Everyone's like, wow, there's a lot of people there. It was. Yeah, I've been in much louder. It's I've been in much louder stadiums like I because they're busy doing like it's almost like 
the cheering is a sport there. Like, and instead <laughs> yeah. of actually like reacting to the game. And to me, it's much more intimidating. Like you've been in, in the Orange Ball in one time in Hard Rock against Notre Dame where like yeah. people are just losing their minds going crazy. That level of noise you're never going to reach it when everyone's looking at the yell leader for the signal to what chant they're going to do. That's LSU. And- That's Florida field. Those, they, they actually, like you said, those people at, at A&M were just making noise. Yeah. These people will try to intimidate you. And that's, that's why it's tough place to play at LSU or at in Gainesville because they try to intimidate you not with like slogans and not with <laughs> like sing-alongs I right. mean you know but but really like you know start belting out the four-letter words and the personal <laughs> stuff and that gets you you know and that's what that's what intimidation is and yeah you remember- then you start thinking I wonder if any of these people are armed and it all starts going through your head <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> you weren't really worried about that here they're way too friendly too which is yeah, just uncomfortable yeah <laughs> but, but you know like the orange bowl if you, you remember the end zone crew if, if you hated to be a notre dame going into that end zone or coming out of that end zone because they would harass you to death and to me that's the home field advantage you've been to gainesville and a lot of those little redneck guys they'll get on you quick i mean they'll they'll start reciting things that you don't you've never heard before and see that to me is unbelievable and you know i mean even michigan uh, you know, Michigan, uh, they 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 kind of bring it too. But that A&M, you could have 135,000 people. I don't care. But if they're not going to be intimidating and all they're going to do is, you know, sing kumbayas and all that stuff, that's there's nothing going to be intimidating. It's just going to be loud, like he said, white noise. And so, uh, but The dumbest thing they cheer is, and I don't even understand this, maybe someone from, I guess, I know several people from there, so I should have asked. One of their chances, Farmers Fight. And they keep saying farmers fight over and over again. I'm just very confused. Well, because the whole... it, it was an agriculture. Yeah, that's, that's what the A&M is, agricultural and mechanical. I get yeah. that. But it's... That's weird. It's they just don't a weird thing to be yelling at a football game. It's a weird thing to be yelling at a football game. So I'm like, really? That's what we're going with? That's very weird. That's, that's, that's very weird. weird. Hey, DJ, I was going to ask you. I mean, because mm-hmm. you, you watch these games and you mm-hmm. analyze these games. Uh, what you heard from you know all of us, don't you agree that Miami just didn't play make plays on offense? I mean, they, they may have had people open, but if you drop the ball and and I heard the one thing in the post game uh, that Mario said, he goes, "You guys want to all blame it on Tyler? If we caught a ball, then you wouldn't have bl- blamed it on him." And I agree. I agree. Yeah, definitely. No, I I uh, I definitely agree too. I thought the receivers were just a little bit off this game and. You know, and you guys kind of mentioned it, Restrepo was definitely missed. Having a guy like Restrepo, having that security blanket allows you to, you know, first and long into second and manageable, second and five, and you don't necessarily have to look for that big play wide receiver. You can just dump it to the slot receiver, continue your drive, and get into a rhythm. And, you know, I just thought that – I thought the defense played great, but – I just thought there was something missing offensively. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into the play calling. I, too, thought it was questionable. But I think the problem that Miami is going to have is that we have such a good run game that we could get five yards of carry. But depending on who your opponent is, that could work right into their hands as you tick away the clock. And that's a balance that we're going to have to find. I thought Jalen Knighton played extremely well. We were kind of wondering – you know, how many carries he would get heading into this game. And I think he got 16, if I'm not mistaken. So 
I thought he played pretty well. And right now I'd say that running back is definitely the strongest unit. And without Restrepo in the picture for, for at least a couple of weeks, Miami is desperately going to have to find a playmaker at wide receiver because what we saw on Saturday was that if you take away Restrepo, then the wide receivers struggle. All yeah. right. Um, real quick, uh, by the way, Blue, I wanted to kind of answer you uh, about the wide receivers. Yeah, look, I, I I didn't mean to say that the guys like Rambo and Harley couldn't have won this game. I think we definitely would have kicked, kicked their behinds with Rambo and, and Harley there. Um, you know, um, I, I, I see it as Amon Richards just being that – like I was so confident in Amon Richards the minute you got the ball to him, he was going to make a play. He was going to make someone a miss and score a touchdown. Rambo, I, I, Rambo did a lot of that. Rambo did a lot of that. But for me, I mean – you know that that's that's all I was trying to say is we haven't had that type of playmaker per se that that guy that just kind of outshines everybody. Ramble was a great fit for us. They did some great things and KJ Osborne and, and Mike Hardy and all those guys. And I think any of those guys, if we had any of those guys in this team, we would have scored at least two or three touchdowns with with them there. But um, at the end of the day, look, it's a combination of everything. Yes, it, it was poor play calling per se inside the red zone. Josh Gaddis did mention that. Um, you know, it, it's hard to call passing plays in the red zone when you are facing eight, you know, eight in coverage. And I get that, and I understand that. Um, but at the same time, you've got to—you probably have to be a little more creative down there uh, in order for you guys to score. Uh, and and to to kind of just touch on the whole thing of the the receivers not getting any separation. You're right; they didn't get much separation. There were times that they were open, and maybe TVD missed them or didn't see them. Uh, or maybe at that point, you know, listen, you've got a couple of drops already. Uh, you want to make sure that you get the ball to the right guy that's going to catch the ball, and you, maybe he lost a little confidence at that point. That happens. I, I know that that happens. Um, in, in hearing some of the um, uh, former players, former guys that have played the quarterback position, uh, some of those drops I can tell you right off the bat uh, or some of those misfires that TVD had uh, were definitely not his fault per se there was some routes that were run incorrectly um that are timing routes and you saw them on one of the out routes that um i, I can't remember who it was that ran it was supposed to be an uh, eight yards and out uh and and before he threw it before he turned tvd had made that throw right it's kind of like a timing route well if you look at the play and i and i kind of went back and looked at it and as opposed to going eight eight yards the, the receiver went nine yards and then turned out. So that throws the timing off right there. So if you're trying to run timing routes, that kind of stuff can kind of throw it off and make it look like the quarterback's making a bad throw. Same thing that with uh, one of the one of the uh, Michael Redding uh, passes where it looked like he was absolutely wide open and TVD completely missed him. Apparently that route is supposed to be run more, uh, sharper on, an, on that in route, whereas Michael Redding, I believe it was, kind of circled that route off. And so that kind of threw off the angle of the throw as well. So maybe look, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to put any blame on one side or the other, but I think that you know the play the, the fans and, and and the people out there that are blaming this on TVD saying that he had a terrible game, that he it, it's just not accurate. And so that's what I'm trying to say by that. I think that you know these wide receivers definitely need to do a better job of catching the football, making some plays, and look. You know, we'll talk about this after the uh, Eric McLean, uh, uh, Eric McLean uh, interview. But um, we've got now we've got another issue, right? Now we've got to tighten up again and the next man up again because we, you know, just found out breaking news on Jacoby George. So that gives another opportunity for some of these guys to start stepping it up. And look, we don't care about 
I don't want to say we don't care about it, but Middle Tennessee State is not the barometer, right? It's not the the measuring stick. However, you're going to have to have guys come out and play hard and play well in this game for them to have any confidence going into two weeks from now when they go play in the ACC, right? So I think that that's going to be interesting to see what they do. Isaiah Horton is another guy. I'm, I don't want to get into it. I'm jumping, in, I'm jumping into it. However, um, I really want everybody to kind of check this out. We had a great, we had a great interview and a great segment with Eric McLean um, coming up now for you. We want to show that to you because uh, you know he had a couple of things to say on the Texas A&M game, where Miami kind of goes after, you know, where, how they move forward after this game, and uh, he gives us a little insight as to how his power rankings in the ACC are also measured as well. So make sure you guys take a look at this. Check it out. Welcome, everybody, here to the Six Rings Cane Show, and we are joined. Uh, we're really excited, actually, to have uh, um, Eric McLean on the show here, college football analyst, co-host uh, of The Huddle on the ACC Network with uh, with our good friend, Mr. Coach Mark Rick and EJ and the rest of the crew there. What's going on, Eric? Glad hey, to have I'm you on, man. Happy to be here with you guys. I'm actually surprised you brought up EJ. I didn't know if that was like against the rules or if you just want to shout out Coach Rick, but I dig it, man. I dig it. Yeah, you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, we like we, we don't we don't we don't mind. It's kind of a weird thing with Miami. Like Florida State and us play each other, so there's kind of a we all make fun of Florida type of thing. I'm all in with that. If there was a Gator on there, I don't know that we would have, but we're, we're okay with EJ. He, he's tolerable. Yeah, strong plus. Plus, my good friend is actually really good friends with him. He played with at FSU with uh, with DJ back in the day. So, um, hey, again, uh, really excited to have you on. Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to start off. We we saw you do the piece with uh, Kelsey Riggs Packer on on the Miami Hurricanes uh, about a month and a month or two back uh, when you guys were down here in Miami. What are your thoughts on this program as a whole now with Mario Cristobal at the helm coaching the Miami Hurricanes coming back to Miami and, and doing this thing here? Yeah, man, I, I was so jacked up, you know, the day that it was announced and, and there have been so many whispers. It was so, you know, weird the way that it was all handled and went down with, you know, the, the fact that they were going after him while they still had a head coach. Uh, but once it was official, man, I was jacked up and, and thought that it would be something that, you know, is going to, you know, progress Miami into the future very nicely with, you know, having a guy like that home. Uh, he is obsessive about football. He is obsessive about Miami. And, and I think that that is something that this program, you know, dearly needs is a guy with a vision like that, with a passion like his, that, man, it's just, it's everything, you know, with, with some coaches say, yeah, well, it, it means this to me to, to be here. It's so exciting. This and that it is the mountaintop for coach Cristobal, that this is home. This is it. Everything he's grown up for everything he's ever done. And uh, I, I'm jacked up for it, man. His vision is so clear with how he presents it, the things that he wants from this football team, the expectation that he has. And, uh, you know, we spoke with Tyler Van Dyke, you know, last week leading into the Texas A&M game and just kind of, you know, asked him about the culture and about the things. And he said, man, the, the, the level that they expect from us is at a level I've never had in my entire life. And that's what you need. That's what it takes to be great. That's what it takes to get a seventh ring as the, the comment or as the title of the show here today. And so, you know, when I look at all those things, man, I'm excited. Uh, I think as all things do, it just takes a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, once he gets his guys, once he gets everything rolling in the direction that he thinks is is the level that he expects, look out, man. My, Miami's going to be in a really fun spot. By the way, we're, we're definitely getting get into some of the play on different positions. But I had to mention this, and I told Vish earlier, I said, 
we got to talk about this, right? Uh, you know, you, you played the offensive line position for Clemson right. from 2012 to 2015, played with some great players over there. But I got to ask you this, right? And I got to throw this out there. Number 59 player in the country, number six tight end in the country. Come what on. are you doing, what are you doing at Clemson? Why aren't you at Miami? You know we put <laughs> tight ends in the league, man. It's a good opportunity, man. That's true, man. That's what a <laughs> that was by me. Um, man, I got to tell you, it, it was something where – I just got to Clemson and it fell home. It, it felt unbelievable. And I, I don't think, man, I'm, I'm from small towns. I'm from the country. I don't know if Miami would have even been the spot. I don't know if what I would have been able to do there. I would have lost my mind, but it's beautiful. Now that I've been there, I've been to Coral Gables and seen the campus and Hard Rock. Man, it, it's that's why we're seeing recruiting go so well right now for those guys. I don't see how you couldn't want to go there. Uh, but it's, it's an incredible place. But, yeah, at the time, it, uh, it, it wouldn't have met up with my with my thing at all. <laughs> so that, that's actually interesting. So that actually triggered a, a thought in my head. So what? So now that you've kind of visited the program, you've seen the stadium, you see the campus. How different is? Because obviously we're from Miami, we love the yeah. place. But how different is the reality from the perception of they don't have a campus stadium? You know right. that place is like not a serious football. You know if you want proper facilities, you got to go somewhere else. Like how different is the reality to kind of the perception you see nationally? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it is it's so, you know, different than than most places because of the look like Miami's one of the most popular places in the world, right? Not not a, a town, not a, a, a small city. I mean, this is a booming metropolis, right? And, and so to do the things necessary, it, it's not like Clemson. Clemson can build whatever they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. There's land for days and it's very relatively cheap compared to Miami. And so with those factors in mind, I think that you look at Hard Rock, that's one of the best stadiums in the country, man. And I get that it's, you know, a ways away, but, you know, it's just different there. It's a pro town. And when the Canes are rolling, guess what? That thing's packed out. doesn't matter where it is. You know, that that community around that area and that, that you know, city there, they pack it out, okay? And so with that and seeing what Miami is doing and, and talking with Dan Radakovich and, and the, the home you know, that he's building for Miami football right across the street there, it's going to be fantastic. And, and so throw all those narratives out the window. I, I don't need an on-campus stadium for a school that is very small, very private, uh, and, and all of that. It's not the same as a Texas A&M that has a, a student body of, you know, 30,000, whatever that is, that go to games and, and things of that nature. So for me, man, I think Miami has more than committed the financials necessary. It did take some time. It did take some some criticism, but you know we're here now, and uh, the future is extremely bright. All right, all right, Emac. You mentioned you mentioned the name. You mentioned the team, Texas A and M. Uh, that's obviously you know what we wanted to talk about. Um, Let's do this first, right? I want to black out. Let's say Team A and Team B. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna black out. I already know where you're teams, going, brother. Okay, we're gonna, <laughs> and we're gonna talk to you. Team A had okay a total of 393 total yards, right? As opposed to Team B, 264. First downs, 27 to 16. Rushing yards, 176 to 125. Passing yards, 217 to 139. Time of possession was something like 39 minutes of time of possession for Team A. Right. You look at those numbers and you say Team A dominated this football game and they actually they put a shellacking on Team B, right? So right. so just to kind of say that, what, what would you say to, 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 to that? Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. It's one of those games where if you just print out the, the box score and you didn't watch any of it, you, you think Miami won. You think Miami won comfortably. And, you know, it, it's crazy to see the, 
the little things that went wrong and the things that are very controllable, which is, is a good thing. I know it's a silver lining and we, we hate those things at times, but when I see that game and I see that it was just right there, it was so close. You're on the road, you're in a crazy environment. You're going against a top 25 team in the entire country who just got embarrassed at home that wants to prove that they belong, man. And, and, and little things that, that stack up quickly. I love the quote that, you know, Coach Cristobal said there, it, it's not enough to just compete. We've got to execute. We, we have to play at a high level, do what we do best. And, and I think when, when I see that and I see those numbers, the one that jumps out the screen to me the most that, that you didn't even mention there, five trips to the red zone, zero touchdowns. That is something where I'm just like, man, it, it's, it's coaching, it's executing as a player, it's doing the things necessary. Because if we go through those, and looked at each and every drive, there's there's a different thing that happened. A, a guy misses a block that would have been a walk-in touchdown. A guy drops a ball that, that would have been a, a walk-in touchdown. We miss a throw. We get a field goal block. All these different things that it was everybody. It wasn't just one, which it's good because you can correct and get those things going. Um, the, the biggest thing for me in this game, guys, is what is the response? What does the team look after? How does the – galvanize this team to another level that we look up at the end of the season and Miami's potentially 11 and one and roll it. And you look at that as that was the springboard that really got us going. You always want that to happen in a win. It happened in a loss. Let's see what they can do with it. Yeah. So I certainly would have obviously preferred that the team won, especially since. Um, Me too, I, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually born in College Station. My dad's a university professor, taught at AM, and then went to my, moved to Miami. So I spent some of my childhood years there. I'm never going to hear the end of this one. But um, so, you know, they really let me down there in that sense. But overall, I will say, is it odd that I feel better about the team I was coming out of the game? Because, I mean, for years watching this team, even when they won, it felt like it was off. And, right. you know, they look like a really good football team that just need to – like you said, it was it was like death by paper cuts. It was just, right. oh, God, if you could just, yeah. you know, string a couple of these together without making the critical mistake. So right. I almost felt better coming out of the game than I have after wins in the past. <laughs> um, is, that, is that odd? Is that odd? Like, I, I, I don't know. Bit, I'm a little conflicted. A little <laughs> but I think that the – you know, the way that, that Miami never gave up. I mean, they fought to the absolute end. You, you, when you're at an environment like that and, and you have the everything going against you, it's easy to give up, man. And that could have been an ugly blowout. And, and it wasn't. And those guys fought. They believed, you know, in each other. When all things, you know, were stacked against them, they kept going and they kept grinding. And so for me, man, I think that's what you probably saw. I think that's the energy you took away from the game, uh, the, the disappointment that you heard from the players and from the coaching staff that, okay, this team's for real. Like, this hurt. They should grow from this. And so, you know, that's where I'm looking at this and, and can't wait to see what's next. So in, in terms of things that can be that can be cleaned up, you mentioned, you know, five trips to the red zone. No, right. you know, only kicked a, a few field goals. Um, some of the drops and, and the missed block. I know what player you're talking about was a receiver missing a block. Right. So what do you think overall of the, the red zone execution, the play calling, and – um, the wide receiver play. Um, I know you said it's correctable. It's not one person, but it did right. feel like it was kind of pervasive. And I know a lot of Miami fans, not necessarily the most rational bunch, um, are jumping all over the offensive coordinator. And it's kind of put up almost 400 yards against a very good defense. It's hard to really, you know, yeah. knock it that much. But what, what are some things they could have maybe done differently? And what are things they can do to kind of get the, the wide receiver group a little bit more in sync? 
Right. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest thing with those guys, I mean, I, I went back, watched the film and counted nine drops. I mean, that that's inexcusable. And what's what stinks even more, though, is that your best player wasn't available. You know, he breaks his foot or whatever the injury was to, to his lower body there. And I just have to think that he would have at least made up for half of those. Right. He would have been targeted on at least half of those. And, and what would he have been able to do if in the situations? That's a little bit of what if uh, th- those guys in the wide receiver room just need to. Man, you need to spend extra time. You need to focus. You need to look that ball in, secure it uh, over and over again in practice, after practice, before practice. Get on the jug machine. Get with Tyler. You know, get that consistency. Get that rhythm because now there, there's going to be questions of trust. It's like, okay, can I throw it to this guy? Is he going to be able to come down with it? And when you're playing a guessing game with your guys, you, you never want to be in that situation. And so a lot of work that, that can be done, but that's the good thing. It can be done it's not a lack of speed it's not a lack of athleticism that's all there you just got to go in and focus on the little things a little bit more to kind of hit on the you know offensive coordinator criticism and and the things you know from uh you know coach Gaddis and things that I've seen there this is one thing that I can promise you guys and it is applicable to most situations he did not drop a single pass he did not miss a single throw he didn't miss a block he didn't make the wrong cut a wrong read at the end of the day, we as players have to go and execute. It was never, you know, my mindset when I'm in the huddle or, or we're lining up and they call something that maybe I don't agree with. I have to go do my best job. Cause guess what? If we're all executing at hundred percent, the play will work. Then there's always something, you know, that goes wrong from, from a player standpoint. Certainly there's schemes. I mean, if you run right into a blitz, obviously there's nothing you can do that. It's overloaded. So you know, maybe a little bit more creativity. Would like to see the ball in Tyler's hand a little bit more, throwing that football. But again, nine drops. It's a trust thing. You're guessing. Can my guys do it? Can they get involved? And would like to see a little bit more involvement of the tight end play probably down there. Get those big guys in space. Let's trust them and, and get them the rock. I, I love that. Yeah, this is a perfect segue here because you mentioned Tyler Van Dyke. Now, let's just talk about it, right? You played with some of the big – some big-time quarterbacks in your day. Yeah. Taj, Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson – uh, you got to see some greatness there with those guys. Uh, how would you rate the overall play so far this season? Because I know we saw, you know, a lot of great, you know, great throws and a great play from from uh, TBD last year. Overall play so far this year from Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, you know, a lot of the fans kept saying, "Well, hey, you know, t- to spark the team, let's put in Jake Garcia again." Not, not very. You know, you can understand the Miami fans are probably some of the craziest in the country. I'm sure you can get you, you feel that by now, but. Um, Obviously, we think is a little ludicrous. But anyways, the overall play of Tyler Van Dyke uh, this season and in the Texas A&M game as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly it has not been as productive, right? I mean, that's just that's that's a matter of fact. He ended the season on an absolute tear, uh, you know, six, six straight 300 yard games, six straight three plus touchdowns. You look at who he was throwing to. I mean, Charleston Rambo was fantastic. Uh, Harley was fantastic. Those guys were difference makers and, you know, they're gone. And, and so you have to rebuild with, with other guys and, and they're not doing their part. So now you're struggling. And again, that confidence thing is it's, it's a big deal. The one thing that I can tell you time and time again, is that Tyler Van Tyke can make throws that few people in this country can. And we saw it in the Texas A&M game. He'll put that thing right over somebody's head, right where it needs to be, uh, can deliver strikes like few can. Uh, so he is still the same player. 
We just have to help him. You just got to catch the ball when he throws it to you and really get going. I would like to see a couple more shots down the field. I mean, he's got such a rocket launcher of an arm. And in those first couple of games, you know, Miami didn't have to throw the ball to, to win or to score. I mean, they ran at will. And so it's it's a weird situation where you're limiting your guy because you don't need to. But at the same time, you have to build this cohesion and this trust between receiver and quarterback that it's just, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Once it clicks, though, I mean, look out. This guy is tremendous. He's going to be a first-round talent whenever he leaves. Uh, so all of that is there. They just have to keep figuring out, keep growing together. So quick quick follow-up on that. You mentioned that cohesion, that trust. How, like, contagious is that lack of, I guess, execution and, and trust? Like, does that – because I feel like that affected the whole passing game on, yeah. on Saturday where once once it started, like, they could not get out of that. You yeah. know, the throw it, would just be off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just so mental, man, that this game, I mean, literally people are trying to take your head off every play. And so mentally, if you're thinking about catching a football or if you're thinking about where do I have to go to get this instead of what's open and where can I just throw it, 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 it slows everything down. It, it makes the process so much harder where this is a very easy game. You know, take what you get, get that ball out and let's ride. And so, you know, I, I think with that, you talk about that, how contagious is it? It's, man, when you get down and you see body language, you see guys arguing, things of that nature on the sideline, absolutely. I mean, it's almost the place of, you know, can we do this instead of let's go do this? And so, you know, to me, just just remembering who you are, just reminding yourself, you know, this is the you. You know, we're some bad dudes. Let's get it going. Uh, I think at the end of the day, having a nice reset this week, and then, you know, it's, it's going to get really jacked up. Yeah. Um, by the way, a couple more questions here for Eric McLean. Again, thank you so much, man, for joining us on the show. Uh, truly appreciate it. And um, so I, I got to mention it, right? I got to I got to throw a little bit of not, not shade. I'm not throwing shade at you, Eric. All right. I'm not. But I saw the ACC power rankings. Right? Oh, no, come on. All right? And I saw you put Miami at number seven. Uh, no, I'm just messing with you. Look, I get it. Uh, how do you how do you come up with those rankings? What what has Miami shown you or not shown you? Right to yeah. either put them further up in that ranking. Cause look, I, I get it. Right. Clemson, NC state looked the part pit, you know, even though they're missing uh Keenan Slovis, well, they miss him this week. I'm not sure what, what's right. going to happen moving forward. And uh, you've got some now Sam Hartman is back at wake, so on and so forth. The one that's, that's interesting, although they're playing really well, Syri Syracuse. Okay. Syracuse is up there. I know they're playing really well, but look at the end of the day, I, I you know, I, I, I see that. I see the number seven ranking. I would have put them closer up to the number, you know, maybe top three or four. But no, I'm just kidding. How, how, how do you come up? No, I'm just joking around. Yeah, but how do you come no, up with that I, ranking there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving me a platform to to explain. And and what you know, I think is interesting about you know really the, the way that I do these things is you know if you see your team fall, a lot of people just assume oh it's because we did bad. You know we, we did this. You know we, we're getting punished. It, with, with my rankings, man, a lot of the time it's it's the other teams are just doing well. Syracuse is playing out of their mind right now, defensively, offensively. They were the only, you know, ACC team going into this weekend that was top 30 on offense and defense. They're just playing that well. They played against a Louisville team that has, uh, you know, Malik Cunningham that is so electric and run all over the yard. They bottled him up and, and did very impressive. This past weekend, Syracuse, their star player, Sean Tucker, went for 50 yards. If you showed me that a year ago, they would have lost by 50. Guess what? They won. They found a way to win. Their quarterback, Garrett Schrader, playing out of his mind right now. So it's it's more so 
putting them up, celebrating them and, and what they're doing and the way that they're playing, I think, you know, could, could hang with those teams in front of them. When I look at Miami and the reason that I got to seven was just the the struggles offensively and not being able to execute. You, we saw it, you know, early in, in the game uh, two weeks ago and, and just not being able to get things going on offense, having to do a flea flicker to get to a, a touchdown. And then against AM, who who lost to App State, we all know that. Not a super big penalty, but couldn't get in the end zone. I thought Miami was going to run and score all over these guys, and they just couldn't do it. The good thing is this isn't the ACC of a couple of years ago where it, it, it's if you're not number two, you're a bad football team. Like the, the league is showing extraordinary depth. I think for folks that, that primarily focus on one team or, or a couple of teams maybe don't know that, the ACC is balling this year. And to be seven, that's not the end of the world. The good thing is just go win. You'll keep climbing that list and get be back where you want to be. Man, you stole Vicious Thunder. I know he well, has Well, I'll, I'll ask it anyway, um, So because I do want to kind of elaborate on, on the question a little bit. But I was going to ask you overall about kind of the quality of the ACC. But but just as a follow-up, what, what do you think about the perception of the ACC? Because we're, we're, yeah. we're Miami guys. We follow the conference pretty heavily. And we – like what we experience on a week-to-week basis is – good, exciting football. Right. And a lot of the perception is basketball schools. This is, of course. I mean, a lot of what I heard going into this Texas A&M game was how will Miami deal with the atmosphere? It's like they play at Virginia Tech every other year. They play right. at Clemson. Like this is right. not new. There's big right. time football played in the ACC. How do you, as, as kind of, I don't want to overstate, but one of the faces of the ACC, um, how, how do you, how do you kind of feel the perception matches up to reality because because we love the conference we love the, the play and yeah. you know we kind of it is disappointing to hear it kind of you know talk down to and it's like no we're playing good football out right there. well I think the biggest thing you know is you know these out of conference games how do you perform how does the league perform and you know of course wins and losses what, what gets most people's attention but you know are you getting blown out are you in the game are you winning the game and so you know to, to have games like West Virginia where Pittsburgh is on the only show in town on national TV and, you know, has that heroic win. When you see an FSU going against LSU on Sunday night, the only team playing, everybody's watching that. So those are the opportunities that, man, you can really make some headway. You, you can say, okay, this conference is for real. This conference is going to do it. Syracuse against, you know, Purdue. Uh, you know, so it, it's great to see those teams getting those dubs, flying that flag, getting it done there. And that that's how you change it. You know, when, when you're playing against – the SEC, the, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, like go out there, fly the flag, whoever's playing, and get it done. And so I think to, to see that, but also to see kind of the, the bottom rise up a little bit. I mean, look how Duke is playing right now in the Coastal. They, they have a quarterback, and they're moving the ball extremely well. Look at Syracuse. Did not think they would be here at all. And, and you know, I have them where I do in my power rankings. Look at a, a team in Florida State that, that, quite frankly, has been bad in the last couple of years, playing at a very high level, probably going to be ranked if they take care of business, you know, this weekend. So when you look at all that, my man, it's the the elevating of the conference as a whole. That's how you change the narrative. That's how you change the perception. Go out, go out and get those W's. Last question here for you, Emac. Um, look, the future looks bright with Miami now with the, with the new uh, new regime here. Uh, but also, you, you start to see that you know, the play is, is, is a lot better as well. It's a little more exciting to see um, how well they're playing on certain you know on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Offense, they got to clean some stuff up. But the future is looking bright. Kind of give us an idea of where you, where you see Miami at the end of 
of the season, ACC regular season play, do you see them kind of challenging for that ACC championship game against, you know, Clemson, NC State, one of those teams as well? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I, I think, you know, just the, the way that the season could potentially shake out, you know, I think that last game at the end of the season, I think that's going to be a play-in game. You know, Miami playing Pittsburgh, I think the winner of that is, is going to go to the ACC championship game. And what – I mean, why would you want anything less? You want those type of high stakes. You want that type of game to matter, you know, so much. And then once you get there, you take care of business – you're looking at potentially playing to get a playoff bid and getting to the college football playoff. So all of Miami's goals right there in front of them, uh, again, all the mistakes that were made, you have to feel good because they're fixable in a game that you're on the road. You have all that adversity and yet you hang in there and you had a chance, you know, to march in there and, and get in the end zone and potentially force overtime after you go for two. So the, the biggest thing for me is to see how Miami comes out this week to see them play with, with, you know, wind in their sails, going hard, super excited, and and just the execution, you know, has to take a step forward. And I, th I think, uh, you know, I can speak for every single Miami Hurricane fan or anybody that's that's uh, that's uh, follows the Canes. Um, first of all, thank you yeah. um, for coming on the show. But uh, as I said, I think we I can speak for everybody that we send our best and our love to Coach Mark Richt. No doubt. Um, we love him on South Florida. Yeah, definitely let, let him know. Absolutely. We're always thinking about him down here. And uh, you guys do an excellent job on the huddle and everything you guys do with the ACC Network. Uh, you really uh, kick some serious uh, some butt there. So, again, Eric, thank you so much for joining yeah. us again on the show. And I think we should have you on before that Clemson game. Come on, baby. Uh, Let's do it. Oh, boy. Uh, he's not going to be asked yeah. if it's nice to Miami some, at that point. Some friendly bets are going on <laughs> there. Right. That one. That's right. Hey, we can do it. We can do it. Appreciate you Absolutely. guys having me, man. I will send all the love and, and, and all that to Coach Rick. Can't wait to see him this weekend. And, uh, yeah, appreciate your guys' time. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much again. Eric McLean, everybody, uh, from uh, the uh, huddle on the ACC Network. Well, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a great interview. You could tell he just loved talking football. Yeah, man, he was he was absolutely He's awesome. He was absolutely awesome. We loved it, um, and I guarantee you, he'll definitely do some stuff. He he and he he does he he loves to kind of interact with us on on Twitter and and on Instagram as well. So we're really excited about um, you know what's going to happen with this show coming down the road as well. We've got some really cool things going on, but you know he hit on a lot of things that we spoke about earlier, um, and it's just interesting that you know the perception nationally 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 now is looking a little bit different uh than what we saw in previous years i think a lot of the national people uh, maybe not everybody is completely convinced yet but uh you're starting to see a little bit of a shift in the in, in the way that they are looking at the miami hurricanes program so we're really ex you know really excited about what he had to say there um and again you know we'll see this this week if they clean up some stuff i mean it's middle tennessee state so we're not going to really you know, I, I don't want to say that it's this is going to be, you know, uh, uh, where we're going to be able to tell if anybody's well, been well, segue. Up, but... It will be interesting to watch the uh, receiver rotation. Yes, yes. Uh, we just heard uh, last in the last couple of hours that um, uh, another another b bad break for the Miami Hurricane wide receiver core, as if it couldn't get any thinner. Uh, we've heard now that uh, Jacoby George has suffered an injury. 
looks like he's going to be out and definitely a lot of people are saying it was a um <laughs> for Fernie, look at Fernie wrote <laughs> say oh, jazz got dressed up yeah man and i and i changed real quick too you didn't even notice it um that obviously was recorded Can you tell I work from home yeah <laughs> <laughs> vicious in the same stuff um yeah so big blow again for the Miami Hurricane uh, wide receiver core as uh Jacoby George um, is now out indefinitely for what looks like to be at least, oh God, a while, right? At least three or four weeks with, uh, it looks like it's a broken thumb that he suffered on a block. Of all things, suffered it on a block. Um, so that kind of stings because he came back, made a couple plays here and there, caught a couple balls, and was getting ready to um, to kind of get back into the swing of things. And and as everybody knows by now, I'm a big fan of Jacoby George. So I was really excited to see him come back and could possibly fill that role as the, as the playmaker, but uh, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. So now it gives the opportunity for some of these other guys, <laughs> uh, you know, to kind of step up. Uh, and, and when I say other guys, uh, Kobe Young is a guy that we really haven't spoken about the transfer out of a, a Juco um, coming in Isaiah Horton, who served the suspension, now is back, was uh, was injured as well. So now he's coming back. Another guy, Frank Ladson. We haven't heard a peep from him. Uh, Blue, you mentioned him last week. We haven't really heard Jack out of Frank Ladson. Uh, Romelo yeah. Brinson really didn't look great either last week. So, Blue, where do we go from here when it comes to the wide receiver? Who is it that, I mean, aside from the obvious answer, everybody, but, uh, you know, now, now you're talking about we, we're going to have to go a little deeper, right? go to Kobe Young and some of these other guys as well. Well, it's uh, the guy who makes the plays. He'll stay on the field. That's the way it is. And if they don't, they'll just uh, they'll go to the wishbone. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They might be well, successful me... with it, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not – you know what, guys? I'm not going to worry that Jacoby George is out. And, I mean, he's okay. I mean, he hasn't – he's been one of the biggest disappointments on the team. I know that you you like him. I mean, I thought he would come out and just take over. He looked awful in the spring. I saw him three different times, and he, he caught – he dropped balls left and right. Uh, so, I mean, to me, it's not earth-shattering. Somebody else has to step up. He didn't do anything that's going to – that won the game the other night. So, like, a lot of coaches will say we could win – we could lose with or without you. You know, I mean – to me, I think that guys who need to step up, Romello Brinson, he was the guy in high school that everybody said, you know, we need to have a guy who who can make plays. And I think Romello Brinson fights for balls better than anybody. Well, you know what? We're not at practice, and that's the whole thing. The, uh, Mario Cristobal and, 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 uh, is not sabotaging the team by starting guys who perform in, in practice. So you're, what you get out there, you know, I mean, you, I know people bring up Skinner and you bring Horton. And evidently they're not getting it done the way they need to in practice because they're never going to, you know, everything's at stake and he's not, you know, and that's the one thing I used to say about Manny Diaz and people goes, how come this guy's not playing? How come that? Because evidently they weren't performing in practice. No coach in the world is going to sabotage his team by taking the best player and not playing. So what happens is if if he wants to stick with that slogan is, you know, you practice how you play, well, so be it. And that's why you don't see a lot of these guys. Uh, against Middle T Tennessee State, you know, I mean, now you got to go into games understanding that, that there's teams out there. I mean, I looked at UCLA playing stupid South Alabama. Come on. They won by one point. So to me, you can never let your guard down. And Miami right now, 
It, they're like they're like a they're like a good prize fighter with a bad right hand. And uh, the, if they can't use that right hand, they could get beat. They could get knocked out. So they've got to find answers there. And 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 that's where I where I see. I think you got to get a little bit more innovative in your offense. Uh, like I said, you know, you, you got a guy who could catch the ball out of the backfield like Rooster. Uh, you know, and he did it last year against Louisville. He did it uh, the last couple of years that he played. I'm just, I'm soured on these guys who everybody talks about all the time. And when they get a chance to produce, they don't. And that's my point. And that's why Miami lost the other day. And Vish brought it up. We need playmakers and playmakers constitute somebody the other night, one of those eight or nine balls. And even, even uh, uh, we just heard that uh, there were drops and, and you, that to me, that's why right now the average person looks at, at Xavier Restrepo and they go, ah, oh, he's five foot nothing and he's this, he's that. He's a playmaker, catches the ball, 10 catches in two games. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, if, if Jacoby George is that valuable, he would have had eight catches for 150 yards and scored twice, okay? To me, he's just another dude right now. I, I say you stick with Redding. And you you keep your tight it, your tight ends are, are the key. So you mix them up. You got a running game. I just think you need one guy. See, and it's a shame. Rashard Smith was given an opportunity. They didn't. Even, they targeted him twice, once, twice. Um, so that's what I'm saying, guys. I'm not. You know, I'm not going to paint a picture so rosy. You know about oh, let's use this guy, use that guy, until you get a guy who can prove to to himself that he can catch the ball. I mean, you know, I mean, I, and that, you know, I, I look at, you know, watching the, the Ram game yesterday and looking at Cooper cup, that's a playmaker. That guy catches every freaking thing and he advances the, the ball. And that's, and I'm not saying Miami has a Cooper cup on their roster, but they've got to have somebody. And like Vish said, they got to have somebody to, and, and to catch the ball in situations where you move the sticks and get into the end zone. And they, right now they don't have that guy and they've got to, I mean, you know what? And, and I, I know that middle Tennessee state is not a and M but at the same time, you still got to execute to win. All right. So Miami's obviously they run the ball well, so run the ball, but there's going to be times that they're going to have to go upfield and who's going to be the guy. I say it's Redding. I think Redding is a guy that he runs well. He's got good hands. I just think that they have to get with him all this week and say to him, "Listen, you're the guy. Act like it, okay?" And that's well, he, that's he dropped I, a couple balls in during the game as well. He dropped, yeah. But you know what? He, I think that he's a guy that you know he's got the length. He's an intelligent kid. He runs really well. It's got to be somebody, Jazz. You know, I mean, it just can't. We can't just keep passing it off to. Let's use this guy. Let's use that guy. It's got to yeah, be I, I something just because you drop a ball. I mean, at this point, you, no. you got to stick to them. You got to stay consistent. I agree. And, and that's the same thing that, that I'm talking about with some of these. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. Irrational ass Canes fans who are on Twitter and on social media talking about let's bench TVD and let's bring in Jake yeah, Garcia. Right. Like, you got to be out yeah, of there's your There's the answer right okay, there. Okay, we that's need a spark. Yeah. Don't give me that we need a spark. That Come on now. I mean, Let somebody I help him out for once instead of freaking. Yeah. You know, I mean, A&M would have loved to have somebody like him. Believe me. Yeah, no kidding. Um, 
you know, Vish and DJ, I want to get your thoughts on that, right? Because we are obviously talked about the wide receivers. If you want to give your take on the whole Jacoby Jones situation, uh, Jacoby Jones, listen to me, Jacoby George situation. Maybe he can catch. Yeah, maybe, maybe he can catch. <laughs> maybe he can play. Start him right now. He was a downfield threat. I'll tell you that right now. He was that downfield threat. I don't think he would have fumbled that uh, punt. But anyways, um, uh, real quickly on that and the situation with – and we got to address it because I think that the fans – Hurricanes fans need to calm down because they're one way before the game, right? And so, so this is the way I see it, right? Before I get your thoughts, because I got to go on a little bit of red here because you've got, uh, here you know, go. you've got seventy-five to ninety percent of these damn Hurricane fans that right before, right before Texas A&M loses to uh, to App State, we're like, oh well, you know, it, all we got to do is go up there and play well, look the part, and you know, and we'll be okay even if we lose, right? Then all of a sudden, Texas A&M loses to App State. And now it's like, oh, we don't blow them out of the water. This is disappointing. Josh Gattis needs to get fired. Oh, here we go with Mario Cristobal. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And then we absolutely dominate the game, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, you got to fire him. And TVD sucks. He's not a Heisman candidate anymore. You should have put Jake Garcia in because all these guys suck. And they can't. Come on, guys. Calm the hell down. This is you can't you get and this. I want you to elaborate on this because you spoke about it so well yesterday when I asked you about the whole deep TVD Jake Garcia thing. Is everybody wants you know the shiny new object? Oh, Jake Garcia because he's so accurate. Stop it. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Vish, what's wh- why? Why do people say this? Number one, and would it have made a difference? Would it have made so... it better? <laughs> So, yeah, you rephrased the question because I was like, yeah, it would have made a difference. It probably would have been worse. Um, But um, so I go back to the series because I think there's a through line here. For whatever reason, and and Blue touched on this probably a lot more eloquently than I will, but everyone thinks the backup is not playing because the coach has a vendetta or whatever. No, it's because they're not as good most of the time. There's Coaches can make mistakes too. They're human, but – you know, they're watching them practice every day. Do you really think they're looking at these receivers and be like, well, Ladson's just dominating in practice, but we're not going to play him because, I don't know, reasons? Like, what are we talking about? And, you know, Gaddis talked today a lot about how shallow the wide receiver pool is here right now and the lack of scholarship receivers they have. If there is anyone performing well in practice, they're going to play a lot right now. So, um, so the idea that there's some, like, magic – bullet that's sitting on the bench that they haven't fired from a receiver standpoint is just it's fantasy um and so but i do think there's an opportunity now <clears throat> it started with x being out now with george also you know being out if someone practices really well they have an opportunity to walk into the starting lineup but they got to earn it in practice and this goes straight to the way you're talking about with the quarterbacks you do not <laughs> try to oh let me get a spark here and upset your entire season to try and like let's fire them up or First, first of all, we weren't lethargic. Like, what spark? We were moving the ball up and down the field. So I, I don't know exactly what they were looking for. This is not a situation where, <clears throat> quite frankly, we've had in the past where, like, the team showed up disinterested and you're like, you know, I'm pulling that guy because he's not even trying or whatever. His head's not in the game. No, we were locked in, just didn't execute well. And you can understand these players, you know, they spring ball work through the entire offseason. The quarterback is a special position. You did not willy-nilly sub your quarterbacks in and out. doesn't matter what team it is. They're looking to the quarterback as the leader. It's the one player you don't sub. 
<laughs> so you're talking about you you prepped through the spring, you prepped through all the summer, you played two games, things get a little rough on the road. Oh, throw all that out and let's shove someone else in there. Are you crazy? Like, what are we talking about? No, you stay the course here. You see it through. If Jake Garcia is better in practice and he earns the starting job, then you make him the starter. But then you got to understand, the only way you go to that is if you're like, this is for keeps. This man is the starting quarterback now. He's earned the job. You don't do it to flipping reasons or, you know, TBD's having a bad game or a bad half or whatever. You don't, you don't make a change because of that. That's going to, even if he came in and played better, which I'm highly skeptical was even really possible. Even if you do, even if he somehow did that, um, and and were we gonna win the game? Maybe, probably not. Still, because the drops, like, well, how is he gonna make them catch it? Uh, as, we got a couple of different counts here. Blue had eight. Eric McLean had nine. A lot of drops either way. Like, was Garcia's ball gonna like? Is there stick them on it? Like, they were gonna drop those passes too. Yeah. So like, like that's, that's not like so. So what exactly was gonna happen there? And then once you do that. Then you've distracted the team. Then you got the media talking quarterback controversy. Who's the starter? All for what? TVD was not playing that bad. You only make the quarterback move unless you're sure I'm going to make this stick. This guy's now my quarterback, right? And there's no way Garcia earned that. So I just, everyone relax. We'll be fine here. Yeah, And I'm going to get to you on this, DJ, but I got to address this, what Ben just wrote on on. On, on the chat here, Gaddis calls plays like he's using Iowa's playbook from 1993. Gattis, that is yes. Big Ten football. That is Big Ten football. That, and ho- hopefully but, he will switch it up. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right. Hopefully he will switch it up. But that's exactly what he did when he was at Michigan. And I think as the season goes on, hopefully he'll be diverse in terms of play calling. But that right there is the Big Ten football in him. And Yeah, but hold on a second, DJ. Yeah. Like, we, we had almost 400 yards of total offense. We moved the ball up and down the field. We just could not execute in the red zone. And whether it was the play calling, whether it was lack of execution when we had the opportunities in the red zone to to score or to get yards, one way or the other, it was not a terribly called uh, game by Josh Gaddis. No, but fans have the sexy play calling, and sometimes it's not sexy. That's what He definitely could have been more creative. He probably could have done some things. But again, he also did mention, which makes perfect sense. How are you going to throw into eight man coverages? You right. got to be more creative, and he and he understands that, and he knows he's going to make those adjustments. But we're talking about a, a, an offense that ran for 176 yards, yeah. okay, and had every opportunity to score and, points. And, yeah, we actually and the players did not execute. Yeah, yeah, we actually talked about this on Friday when we were on the scouting combine show. Jazz and I did a crossover with them. Check it out on, on this YouTube feed. But we talked about how we're going to come out and try to run the ball. App State was effective. We're effective. We're going to keep running it. Right. Why wouldn't you? You're picking up your – you just have to be able to also supplement it with just easy passes, and we couldn't hit them. Like, I, I mean, I don't – I'm not saying Gas was perfect because he certainly wasn't, and I can certainly – some of that No, but he didn't call a terrible game. Yeah, yeah but this that. idea that, like, this guy is terrible, I'm like, I don't know what game you watched. He's yeah. a defending Broyles Award winner, which is given to the College Assistant of the Year. There's a, a crap ton of college assistants. Like, this guy is no slouch. But Ben, again, what do you mean he, they don't have Big Ten players? We just ran for 176 yards. It's with, the big, yeah, uh, like, that's the that's the very definition of Big Ten football is run the yeah. ball hard with your big uglies in the front in the trenches 
right? And on the other side of the football, the same thing. Yeah. Like, we literally did exactly what a Big Ten football team does right. with the exception of not executing when we threw the ball <laughs> down the field. I get that. We didn't right. execute. Yeah, so we we did. dropped the be, ball. It should be noted we threw 41 times. Not yeah. all, Okay, that's a perfect segue to this. DJ, 21 of 41 looks doesn't look great. Looks mediocre. 50% passer uh, uh, completion percentage. He, uh, you know, no touchdowns. Mm -hmm. I get all of that. But you, you factor in the eight or nine drops, and now you're looking at 30 for 41 with possibly a couple touchdowns, right? Right. But let's just say 30 or 41 looks pretty damn good, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying, uh, yeah, you would have, could have, should have. I get that, right? Hindsight's 20-20. But the, matter, the fact of the matter is we dropped the ball eight or nine times. Mm -hmm. And those are completions that we should have had, mm -hmm. okay? So the, now the stat line doesn't look that bad, number one. Number two, he made adjustments in the second half. He went like 16 to 20 in the second half. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about here? Like, we, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. And, and Blue, I'll kind of turn it to you on that DVD uh, situation as well right after DJ well I think you know high high percentage throws may not mean you know 25 yard deep throws down the field and it may you know it's not again it's not the sexy play it's not the big highlight but it is efficient and you know we saw TVD make adjustments in the second half and you know he didn't play a bad game, and I thought, honestly, the coverage by Texas A&M was very good. I thought they did a good job of covering the receivers in addition to, honestly, the drops that we had. That that also didn't help our cause. But, you know, I thought that the, the game plan for what it was was as balanced as it could have been, and at times we didn't move with urgency, but I definitely understood where the play calling was coming from because – at certain points in the game, Parrish got hot. You could see that, you know, he had his his sea legs under him, so to speak, and he was running really well. And it's tough to balance, you know, passing the football and running the football when both are working well. But when you have a hot running back, for example, you don't want to, you know, give that give that up or give that away. And at the same time that that was happening – Van Dyke was executing shorter throws with efficiency. And so, you know, yes, there was, again, the questionable play calling in the red zone. But overall, I thought Van Dyke played decently, all things considered. I thought Texas A&M played a pretty solid game, you know, defensively. And I thought Gaddis did the most with what he could, given that his star receiver was out and the fact that Texas A&M was bringing a ton of pressure. Blue, your thoughts on on TVD's play, or you know, or or j just overall play in the Texas A&M game, and also the play calling for for Gattis in the red zone. Talk, uh, what what are your thoughts and your opinions on that? I did, like Vish said. I mean, uh, first of all, you, you're never going to change this guy. I mean, he's still a winner. Uh, let's let's say he dropped eight. They dropped eight passes. If he would have gotten. Four more completions, he would have been close to 300 yards and maybe a touchdown or two, and no one would be saying anything. It's not him. It's not him. Uh, come on, I, I you watch any uh, you watch any quarterback in America, whether it's uh, college or pro or whatever it is, you got to have help. I mean, there's guys that make out. I saw, like I said, I brought up Cooper Cup before. He made like five catches yesterday that made Matthew Stafford look like a freaking Hall of Famer. But that's what you need. That's why I keep yelling and saying, 
playmakers, playmakers. A good and, slot receiver. Cooper yeah, Cup, Xavier Restrepo, yeah. I just, yeah, I'm not – you see, <clears throat> I'm not dwelling on this game because we know what the, we know what the deal is, guys. I mean, there's no hiding what it is. There's no playmakers. And and I and I a billion percent agree with what Vish said. If there was guys in practice that were getting it done, they're not going to not play them. So I just think that when you're in a situation now is you got to find one uh, if you're going to have a successful season. I know that the Hurricane fans don't want to hear that. But listen, I said at the beginning of the year when we are when we were like, you know, given our predictions that A&M and Clemson were given. They were for me. They were. And then Miami always finds a way to lose a game or two. So I just don't see how a team is going to go from seven and five and just all of a sudden start making plays in one especially, year. Especially when you have a lot of the same players that are coming back. You, it's, exactly. There's a culture I know. Shift. It's going to be a rebuild. Yeah, but you know what? And we look at it because obviously we do a cane show and you want to be optimistic and you don't want to go, well, there'll be six and six because no one will listen and you won't be realistic. And, you know, and I could hear it now, but that's not why I said that. The only reason is, is, you know, I keep saying every time someone makes a prediction or everybody tells me this, I said, give me a reason why. So give me a reason why with your two best receivers, two most reliable receivers gone that it's going to be better this year. Uh, you know, Mario's a great coach, but he's not a magician. I mean, you know, let's face it. He's not going to – He and even he would admit, he goes, he can't – you know, Gattis can't go out and make those plays. He can't go out and do those things. So you, if they're going to criticize him for, like, <clears throat> for making the wrong calls when people are dropping balls, that's not fair because – if they make those catches, he's a genius. So make up your mind, you know? This, so, yep. And that's the way I look at it. This is a funny one here. I mean, ben, is on a road, <laughs> ben is on a road today, but going from Lashley to Gaddis, it's like going from Lincoln Road to Dixie Highway. I mean, that's just it, – at this point, it's comical, Ben. I'm not sure what's going on because, I mean, at, at this point, I, I guess it doesn't really matter that he won the uh, award for the best – assistant coach right uh last year the ryan uh, the, the ryan broyles the but the broyles award uh for, we could use ryan broyles uh, right can't we <laughs> i keep throwing out these wide receiver references and it's like oh we could have used that guy this weekend but uh I mean, but you have who you have there jazz yeah, i know and, but, no, and but that's, I, and I, I think that's just, just ridiculous josh yeah, Gattis is, ridiculous. is one of the best offensive well i do in all of football. well well i, I, I think, different offense so i'll be a little bit a little bit more sympathetic to ben's plight than maybe you are right now jazz in that um, I think, you know, the context matters. And, you know, if you look at from the point of view of receiver core is already thin, then best receiver is gone, is out. And as 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 Blue mentioned, Restraper hardly played last year. And now he's like, this guy is the guy because we lost, we lost our best receivers. So already we're starting on, all right, we're trying to replace this. Then that guy gets injured. You take it from the context of, Third game in a new offense, first time against a team with athletes like this. Um, that I'm assuming someone a blue maybe will understand this reference. <laughs> um, but Santana Fleming is a stud, by the way. He is a very good player. All right, there we go. Yeah. Um, so if you take that in there, and then you see. Um, by the way, thanks for the thanks for the dono Lakers all day dono yeah. four ninety nine dono appreciate it. <laughs> yep, and then and then you, you know. That doesn't matter. That was like Michigan. All right. Well, they were in the playoffs last year. I'd like to be there. But um, 
So, um, but but I, I think if you take that in the context, take it like it was really close and it was just a little out of sync and look at it from the standpoint of, of you know, it's nearly there. Yes, we need better talent as well, but, you know, you could see this clicking. You know, you make a few of those cads, you could then see the points kind of catch up to the yardage. And then we're not having this conversation. On the other hand, I can see it from Ben's point of view, which is like, this was pulling teeth for four quarters. Yeah, but right? and then, Rhett Lashley's offense didn't take off until like week four. Well, I mean, I don't – week so, five anyways. So, yeah, so and it absolutely matters, ATL Kane. It absolutely matters what he did at Michigan. How do – I mean, that's how you – Yeah, how do you I mean, win the Broyles Award? Yeah, how do you win the Broyles Award? You do, you do your job, you do it well, and so – and then you get a promotion or you get moved over and you expect to do the same thing. And he's doing exactly what he's doing. a tough conference. Yeah, so, but, but again, I, I think the shot. context matters. And if this was in year two or three, we'd be like, how can the – what is wrong with our sure. offense that the players still can't get it? I get that. Um, Absolutely. But so, I, so, I, so that's why I'm a little sympathetic because if, if you just treat that game in a vacuum without the context, there's a lot to, more to be upset about than when you look at the overall program, the trajectory, how underperforming we've done in, in, on these stages before in terms of performance. Not necessarily in terms of results, because sometimes we pull these things out and you're like, I don't know how we won that game. But in terms of actual performance, we did dominate that game. So, again, I think when you're looking long term, that it's a bit different. Um, um, in terms of, but if you look at that game, in, I can understand the frustration there. I do want to address. Okay, and I get, I'm sorry. I understand the frustration because it's like, oh, we've seen this before. But I think, you know, and, and I know it's very cliche to be like, all right, you got to give him time to. You know, but but again, if you look at it in all the context, again, we lost to, to our two best wide receivers. This is a brand new offense. Yeah, so you got to look at it both of both sides. I get the frustration, but I think that at the same time, you got to understand this is. I mean, this is one of the best minds in college football. Yep, he's he's working with what he has as well. And Blue mentioned that there's no playmakers on that on the offensive side of the football from a wide receiver perspective. So you gotta he's gotta figure this out. This was the perfect game, Blue. And maybe you can kind of agree or disagree. This is the perfect game to know now what you got and to really evaluate this team and and make adjustments now moving forward because you're gonna have to anyways. ACC play is coming up. You yep. gotta make the evaluations. You gotta make the adjustments. And and I think from here on out, we're gonna be able to see what type of team this is. Well, after Saturday, the next five games, the combined records are 15, 14-2 and two of the teams that you're going to play. So, you know what? They're even – I don't care who they are, but they're learning how to win. See, and that's important. So, um, I'm just going to maintain, guys, that we just got to take it week by week, uh, see what happens this week against uh, Middle Tennessee State, see who steps up because – as we remember, remember Southern Mississippi Jazz, we sat there and watched that first half. And, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee State, I would imagine, is comparable to Southern Mississippi. They got some playmakers on the team. I was looking at them today. They're not terrible. So they're going to push back. They're, it's not going to be Bethune-Cookman. They may lose 48-7, to but you know what? The first half – and we did, the thing is Miami just didn't come out and, and, and play with any urgency the last two games. They really didn't. I mean, making mistakes and, you know, you know, and, and you could tell me, oh, they put up 218 yards in the first half. But what did it get them? Three points? You know, so the proof is, like, I, I keep going back to what Vish said. You know what? You got to use your players who are making plays, and that's it. 
I don't care who they are. I, you know what? I go back to the old thing. If you're wearing a Miami uniform, you're on scholarship, you're there. If you're making plays, we'll use you. I don't care if you're a, a freshman or a 10th year senior. We got to use you. You know, we got to use you, and that's the way it is. And Miami's got to – you know, so far I see there's no favorites. You know, nobody plays any favorites because Mario wouldn't be here and he wouldn't be successful if he if he played favorites. I mean, you know, you know how many people probably got in his ear when he got here and said, oh, if you play Restepo, you're going to stink. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But what he saw in practice from the day he got there to last week or two weeks ago, he saw nothing but somebody who was a winner and somebody who wanted to be there and somebody who produced. Right. Again, Corey Flagg, everybody, well, he's 5'10", 190s. Yeah, well, right now he's the second leading tackle through the first three games. So uh, we'll we'll definitely mention defense because I think it's deserves mentioning. But Vish, you and I mean these comments from Vincent, I, I would love to address because I think he brings up great points. I don't know if I agree with everything, but again, at the same time, I'm pretty much agree you know, with what he's saying. The reason the, we lost because Mario chose to kick field goal uh, to cook, uh, chose field goals. He played to keep the game close not to win the game or go for the juggler seven points, or you got a great field position. The problem I see with that. And then okay, Gary with the similar. Yeah. The problem I see with that is that you weren't execu- executing in the red zone. Okay. You weren't finding open receivers. The play calling wasn't the, the best. So I don't know if that's necessarily a product of Mario. Yes. He chose to go for the field goals. I get that. He chose to go get the points, right. As opposed to, score a touchdown or throw a touch, you know, throw at the in the end zone or make those type of plays. But at the same time, you're struggling to score in the end zone. Your receivers are dropping balls. Okay. And I, and, and I understand that you want to go for the juggler, but you're right. You're not going for the juggler. You're down. You're not up. So what are we talking about there in the sense of why, why would going for going for it on fourth down there been better than taking the points at that point, especially with the way your defense is playing. Well, he so. needs to probably have a couple of cafecitos with Mike McDaniel. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> look, look. The, 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 well, I mean, to, to answer your question, Jazz, this is this is this is math, and so I'm I'm pretty much in total agreement with what Gary and and Vincent are saying. So when we were down inside the five yard line, and it was I think it was third and goal from the six, and we run it. First of all, if you're going to call a running play there, you you gotta you gotta be thinking two downs, right? Otherwise, throw it in the end zone. Or, you know, if it's not there, throw it away, whatever. But you got to <laughs> take a shot at the end zone. Or if you're going to run it, to me, that means you're playing for two downs. The second thing is, this is towards the end of the of the third quarter. If you're going to kick that field goal, you're still leaving a two-possession game. So you've now basically said, this possession we had did not fundamentally change the game. i got to get the ball back twice and two touchdowns, basically, or a field goal and a touchdown to two. So you've not really fundamentally altered what you have to do to win the game by making those three points. So you, and you're four yards from the end zone. You've got to go for the end zone there. You have to go for it. Now, if you don't, let's, let's, let's play the other side. Let's say you say we haven't scored since the first drive of the game. Cause at that point, cause we missed those two other field goals and we kept blowing it. So we actually hadn't scored in almost basically the entire game. Cause we scored on the first drive. So let's say you're going to take that approach of I, okay, we just need these points, settle everyone down. Okay. Then, you know, you've now set yourself up. You need to score twice in the fourth quarter at least because if you miss that two that's another that's another possession right so you need either two touchdowns or you need a touchdown and two and a field goal you have got to play with urgency in the fourth quarter they happen to punt it we we started the ball the, the fourth quarter with the ball on our own one we took eight minutes off the clock to drive into field goal range and kick a field you cannot do that 
once you kick to that field goal at the end of the third quarter, you've lost the right to do it. You've got to go through your plays quicker. The the most the, the worst case of this was when we made those, which by the way, they didn't call holding the entire game. They called it two plays in a row on us, which give me a break. But because everyone was holding on both teams, by the way, like we were watching it on the big screen. They're like, there's holding on every play. Okay, they're not calling it. Then all of a sudden they called it twice. But now you're second and 30. There was like five minutes left. You're basically know you're going to have to punt this. Like you're not converting second and 30. So, uh, you're on mute, so I can keep going or? Hold on. Sorry. Sorry about that. Time out. Uh, Blue, I know we got we got to get you out of here because uh, yeah. we got other okay. engagements. Okay. Real quick, your your uh, two second two second thought of Middle Tennessee State. What do you want to see from Miami, and then uh, get out of here? Come out and play. You know, like we said, come out and take it to them. Run, pass, run, pass. Find find some playmakers, uh, and uh, that's all. You you know what? If you don't have guys that are going to make plays, those next five weeks are going to be really tough. They're going to be really tough. I don't want to keep sugarcoating it for Miami fans and as much as I'd like to. But, and Vish, I know you agree. And just by agreeing with what they just, uh, the two guys just said, you're not just going to be better just because you say you're going to be better. Uh, you've got to prove it. And that's what I said. They got to come out uh, on Saturday and just kick butt. I don't care what it is, but. Find those playmakers. Use some of the guys like in the Bethune-Cookman game where they made plays. I don't know why they made plays. I don't care if it's Bethune. If you're wide open against Bethune and you're wide open against Texas A&M, should it make a difference? I mean, you know, I mean, you should still come up with the catch. I don't think Texas A&M's coverage was that great where they were all over everybody. There was a lot of guys in space that dropped balls. So they got to stop that. They got to stop that. All right, guys, I got to run. Good seeing you. Are we going to do pregame this week? You're going to be there. Yeah. You're muted. Yes, we will. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do. We'll do a pregame show for sure live. From, so at 2.30, uh, we're going to do the pregame. From Hard Rock. Yeah, the game starts okay, at guys, 2.30. Okay, guys, take yeah. care. Yeah, I'm going for that as well. Right. So continuing my my uh, rant on the clock management. So, And by the way, I, I agree to a certain extent. I understand what you guys are saying. Well, really well so to me, the most egregious um, – the most egregious one was after those two holdings. Now, I mean, you're pretty much looking. There was roughly five minutes in the clock. You pretty much know you're going to be punting this ball. So you need to now really be managing the clock because you got to stop, get the ball back. We ran another two minutes off on the drive on those last few plays, including this is unacceptable. When we're lining up to punt, we huddled. We huddled to punt the ball <laughs> and, and then ran the clock all the way down. And then because we are huddling, which, by the way, normally we don't. I don't know what that was. Maybe we're trying to fool them or something. Although it was like fourth and 24. The lack of urgency. Yeah, the lack was, of urgency there. And then yeah, because there. we were screwing around like that, we that's the one where we lined up in the illegal formation. We punted it down to the one. Right. And, you know, I was thinking at that point. Now, of course, when we repunted it, they fumbled. And that's a whole other thing that we didn't recover that. But, but you know, if you get them on the one, there's potential for a safety there. <laughs> When you get them out of their end zone, especially the way we were dominating their offensive line, yeah. you know, now all of a sudden that's a it's 17-11 and they're kicking, like doing a free kick back to you. That's game on. Because even on that last drive, we got it back with like a minute left. What are the chances we all of a sudden are able to put it in the end zone and get the two? What are, what are the chances we catch a ball? <laughs> right. I mean, so that that's was still how, very how long. That, that's how it ended, right? So, so we just, yeah. So we just, we just, I mean, to me. <clears throat> and, and Vincent mentioned at the end of the half, that was also a, a time I would have definitely called the timeout. We let the clock run out, but I can kind of see, you know, they were near midfield. 
We weren't moving the ball. I could see Mario being like, let's just get in the half, reset. We're not executing well. So I'm not going to like have my quarterback, you know, try to do something here. Right. But overall, yeah, the lack of urgency when we, <clears throat> those field goals, all those decisions to kick field goals, you know, forced us to have to get extra possessions to then win the game. You then have to take that into your clock management. So my biggest issue, like I would have definitely gone for it at the end of the third quarter when it was 17 to three. I can still justify his decision by saying, look, we need to get points. It had been almost three full quarters without scoring. Like we just need to reset there, get our headspace back. But at that point, then you got to play the rest of the game based on that decision, which is we got to go faster. We very well might need three or three possessions in the fourth quarter. And then to do, then embark on that marathon drive that resulted in another field goal. To me, it put us right behind the gun. And, and we had, and the way we were moving the ball, it's just like we could have gotten several more opportunities to, to you know, blow a drive. So it's kind of like, you know, you're just waiting for a play to break. So I don't know that it necessarily would have mattered because we couldn't finish anything. But yeah, I definitely had some issues with how that was managed. I don't think it was managed correctly. Um, yeah, and I, I could see that. I can definitely see And so that. I think that's a legitimate criticism. Um, even if you're going to say he, you know, to your point, Jazz, I do agree with you. Like, if we'd gone for that fourth down, would we have gotten it? Probably not. <laughs> right? The way we're executing, where we're going to all of a sudden punch in the end zone for the four-yard line? Right. Probably not. But it does then have them start their four-yard line. <laughs> so, because then our next drive started at our one. So, you know, it's all, every, every, it's all butterfly flip. You change one decision, the whole game right. can change. So, I, I don't know. I, I can't, the way we were, we were struggling to score there, I felt like you're that close to the end zone. You got to go for a touchdown. You're down two at that point. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, and look, and, and I will agree, like, look, as far as, as far as, you know, uh, uh, Josh Gaddis's play calling, it, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a terribly called game. Uh, you know, I don't agree with some of the plays that he put put together in, in the red zone. I know that bootleg with TVD wasn't the best. I know that, uh, that drop, uh, whatever it was, the RPO with, uh, with Knighton wasn't the best, wasn't the best call, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we have to execute better. And I think that this was a great learning experience for that. Uh, you know, I, I saw someone mention that this is still a win for Miami. No, there's no such thing as moral victories, man. Uh, this is not a win either way you look at it. It's a learning experience for them. Uh, I don't, I, a loss is a loss. It's a loss against a big-time program. And I think, look, yeah, I, so think that, I, like I think what Blue said, really quick, I think what Blue mm -hmm. said about Texas A&M Texas would get trampled by Georgia or by Alabama. I don't know. Look, I get it. They are they are an inferior team to those teams, but it's still SEC football. And this is the same Texas, not the same Texas A&M team. If anything, they may be a little bit better um, than the one that played. Well, I disagree. Then again, let me let me backtrack. Let me backtrack. They're not a, they're not better because they did lose a lot of guys to the NFL. But this is a really good football team, and I think they would compete with it with the Alabamas. They would compete with the Georgias. Um, you saw Texas what how they competed against. Uh, you know, against Alabama, albeit it was the first game of the season. I get that. But at the same time, this is the SEC. The SEC is very competitive. I don't know if they would get blown out by these teams. I don't know if they're, they're not, they're definitely not a better team. But look, uh, teams match up with each other sometimes better than other teams. That's just the bottom line. It doesn't matter how good you are. Sometimes you just match up against a team better than the other, but based off of your, your, your the way that you play football. So I don't know if they would get blown out. Um, so I, I won't go that far as to say that. 
this is a damn good Texas A&M team. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, and and um, I you can't do the transitive property in sports anyway. Like it doesn't matter. Well, you saw like, it with App State, right? Yeah, would you, yeah. But I mean, let's good, great point. If we were to play App State right now, how much would you pick us to win by? Like, get the hell out of here, right? But right. they beat A&M. To me, that's not really. I, I I will say on the whole, like you know, moral victory thing. Um, I this is a loss, plain and simple. In fact, it's frustr- It's a frustrating loss because we should have won. But I think if you're, I think the the positive takeaway is not that you know this is like a winner, and it's that the way the team played, you could see that this can be a very good football team. And you know what? It's been a long time. Even as we were winning games at the end of last year, it was somehow Kenny Pickett overthrowing a wide open wide receiver with a walk. <laughs> like this guy was an NFL first round pick. He's the first quarterback taking the draft. I don't know how he missed that throw, right? And he overthrew it, and I think James Williams intercepts it. And you're like, oh, we won. Because if he just makes the throw he's made a million times, these guys walks into the end zone, right? That's a win where you're like, we just went on the road and beat a rig team. And you're like, but man, I don't think we're very good. Um, yeah. This is almost the opposite. Like, it's not a win. It's a loss. It's disappointing. But, you know, we you could see that if we clean up some of the passing game and really the execution on the passing game, more so than the play calling. I know people right. don't want to hear that. But yeah, if you clean up the too. execution yeah. on, the, on, the, on the passing game, you could see a really good team in there, and I can't remember last time I said that. D- DJ, I wanted to, I, I, I want to flip the script here because we haven't really talked about the defense a lot. We've just said that they played well, um, but two surprising things, right? I, I, one more surprising than the other, but I think the defense as a whole played really, really well. Talk to me about our first round talent, uh, DJ Ivy, and our um, possibly our All American linebacker Corey flag uh it's just funny to me right like we've yeah. been talking about dj ivy how he hasn't lived up to expectations had one of his best games that he's ever played against one of the better teams that he's probably got against right so yeah. i think this was great a great building block momentum for dj ivy to be like okay hold on a second look what i just did against you know texas a&m boom it was mm. a great you know big 10 big uh big 10 sec football you know, I went out there and I I played well. Corey Flag the same thing. I mean, we've been seeing it from Corey Flag the whole time. People just want to downplay um, how good of a football player he is. Quite frankly, yeah. um, talk to me about this defense. You know what you saw out of them. How you if you liked what they you know what they did. If there's anything that you'd like to see down the road, them do a little bit. I can think of one off the off the bat, but I'm going to let you handle that real quick. Yeah, no, I saw a very aggressive defense. I saw a very reactive defense. They didn't wait for plays to come to them. They went and attacked. And that's something at times that I don't know if you would have seen last year. And I really thought they did a good job of, you know, it sounds so cliche, but playing to the moment. You know, this is a primetime game on the road against a tough Texas A&M team. And I thought they looked sharp, all things considered. The one thing that I would say that they struggled a little bit with was the running game. In uh, a chain, the Texas A&M running back, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, he was able to get through some um, holes in the defense. And, you know, Anias Smith is a very good wide receiver, and he had a touchdown, and I think it was 74 yards. So, you know, the Texas A&M playmakers came to play. With that being said, it didn't feel like, you know, we let them score or we kind of just, you know, laid down to them we made them work for it and the aggression of the defense and the reaction time of guys like flag and ivy 
were really encouraging to see. They were definitely ready for this moment. Uh, these are the two things that I, I want to say, Vish, and I want to turn it to you uh, real quick on this. Uh, the first one is um, no chunk plays, right? Not a, You didn't see a lot of that uh, in this game. You saw maybe a couple of plays where Miami was a little bit out of position. You saw a few missed tackles. I will say it was kind of disappointing to see one specific linebacker really didn't play too well. Um, you know, I, I won't really say it was a missed tackle in the James Williams one where um, – I think it was uh, Devin Atain, uh scored on that little swing pass. Uh, that's tough to get a guy like that who's a, a, an Olympic sprinter, basically, in the open field to kind of tackle him. So I I'll, I don't want to say oh, I'll give man. him a pass. Yeah, he, he's unbelievable out there. You know, he's, he's kind of hard to, to to get down either way. So, But I'm really impressed with the, with the lack of chunk plays, which is obviously something that we cleaned up uh, before this game. However, the only thing that I would have liked to have seen and Vish, you could probably agree with me on this, is that there was no takeaways. There was no big plays on defense. And that's what I think we needed to swing the momentum to kind of get them on their heels. And that could have maybe changed the outcome of this game as well. Vish, what are your thoughts on the defense and how they played? And, you know, as, as far as not getting any turnovers, I think that was a big thing. It, it was definitely a big thing, but I think that was part of why Texas A&M switched quarterbacks. Um, they had turned it over a lot the first couple of games. They didn't at all here. And Good point. And and you know when we allowed them to 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 basically gifted them that touchdown. Well, I mean, this is worthy of sharing. So it's just yeah. to... <laughs> now I feel like Ben is just trying to bust my chops. I mean, he's, you know? he's got some one liners. He's firing. Exactly. Yeah, I like it. No, I like it. I like it. it. Keep him coming, Ben. Keep him coming. It's Florida. Every, everyone's armed. These guys got fully loaded. And he's firing on. He's firing both. Um, oh man. Um, but awesome. but yeah. So they so they um they they are intent. Because they we spotted them the lead essentially, they never had to get out of that comfort zone of I'm gonna keep it simple. He made the safe throw every time. He never had to force it because they were fine punting. We we never if we ever got in front, I think the turnover would have come on the next possession. But he never I mean he was ten of twenty, their yeah. quarterback, and they didn't drop anything. I think actually they dropped a pass on the first drive. That was it. Um and so like it was all just I'm gonna make the safe throw. I'm throwing it five yards out of bounds. Versus throwing it near a covered receiver, and you saw them miss throw after after throw after throw, um, and he didn't care because they were in the lead and they were not threatened by our offense. And part of turnovers is your offense putting pressure on the other team's offense to have to make plays because you make turnovers, you're trying to make plays, and we never we never got them in that mode where this dink and dunk quarterback had to actually try to throw the ball down the field, and, and that was that, that's why we didn't turn them over. Texas A&M ran to minimize the turnovers, and it was a smart thing to do. Kind of like you just said, Vish, it allowed the quarterback to, you know, throw these five-yard passes, and then he could hand off to the running back for another five-yard gain. They put them in a position to succeed, and they put Johnson in a position to succeed by not having him do too much and, you know, taking up clock and, you know, while maintaining the lead. And it was a very smart plan offensively by Texas A&M. They were able to – utilize that balance something that we didn't necessarily see from miami on saturday yeah good point samaj jamar yes definitely um i hope i said your name right and i didn't butcher it so um uh you know you know the defense i think that you know max johnson actually was kind of like the perfect quarterback for this defense as well he's a statue we put pressure on him 
we were able to get some sacks. We were able to, to, to you know, rattle him a little bit because you saw we put some hits on him. He made some errant throws. Um, we just didn't get to him enough. And, Vish, I think it was a perfect thing that you said. We didn't put enough pressure on the offensive side of the ball to make them take more risks and make more mistakes. So that's to piggyback off of what DJ said. They ran to minimize turnovers because they didn't need to push the ball down the field. They didn't need to take those risks. We, on the other hand, needed to. And we spoke about this pregame. We spoke about it last week. What's the first thing that we said? Aside from win the battle in the trenches, take risks, take chances. And we really didn't do that on offense. So I think that it all goes hand in hand. Um, Look, and and just to make a point, and just to make a point on 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 what Ben said about TVD playing in the system, uh, yeah. Look, I, I I get where you're coming from, Ben, because I think it's you know, it would be interesting to see if Josh Gaddis starts to kind of tailor it a little bit more to make TVD a little more successful in this offense. Um, if he doesn't, then yeah, you're kind of wasting his talent a little bit because he is a guy that, with the ball in his hands, can make some, can make some magic happen. Put him in that position, and I think that you'll be all right. And I think that again, what I said earlier was the evaluation uh, based off of this game is going to be really important moving forward, especially for ACC play. If we can kind of make some adjustments, uh, find the playmaker, I think we'll be just fine on that side of the ball. The reason why Josh Gaddis was so successful at Michigan was because he was able to tailor the offense to Cade McNamara's strengths. Now he has to turn around in the ACC and work on tailoring, you know, a bit more of the play calling to to Tyler Van Dyke's strengths. And I'm going to be interested to see exactly what he does and if there are any changes, because this is a whole different ballgame than Michigan. But he has shown the ability to switch up uh, game plans when needed. So now let's see it. Yeah, this uh, do you th- do you think that? Uh, and Vince brings up a, go- a good point, and, and we said that you still have to throw the ball down the field, and you still have to go for seven, not three. I totally get that. And I think that um, uh, you know you've got to take some risks, and I, you have. Here's the thing: you have the quarterback to do that. Put him in that position to do it. Um, this, do you think that Gaddis tried to make some adjustments at, at the half? Uh, did we see that? And, and I, I mean. The obvious answer is yes, because you saw him connect on more of his passes. You saw them still move the ball up and down the field between the 20s. Do you think he made enough adjustments? And then after this, we'll kind of move on to Middle Tennessee State very little because I I know there's not much to talk about with that. Yeah, no, I I think he made some adjustments. I do think, you know, talking about the offense fitting TBD, one of the things TBD needs to improve on is going through his progressions more quickly. He locks in on the primary receiver for too long. There were plays where – since I was at the game, you kind of see it's easier to see, obviously definitely easier than for the quarterback to kind of from the stands to see like all the receivers at once. There were guys breaking open and he was kind of waiting for the primary to get open and, you know, getting off his progressions a little late. I'm sure they're going to work with him on that. I think that probably caused some of our issues where they were like, there's no one open. There were people open on, on some of these plays and he, he just didn't get through his progressions to get the ball there. So I, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, there were some adjustments made, Unfortunately, some of them were. I think Gary talked about this to try and get get those wheels moving for TVD, which I don't. I don't think that was because that was all pretty much in the second half where we ran a couple of speed options to the short side. Um, had a couple of runs, including in a, in a goal line sequence, which I'm sure we'd like all those plays back. Um, I don't know exactly. I don't know on what planet TVD was gonna like actually pick up a decent gain 
on those plays against the defense with as much speed as AM has. So <clears throat> I don't know what that was, but um but um I mean to by, by the way, those red zone opportunities wasn't that the perfect <laughs> wasn't that the perfect opportunity to throw those 50-50 balls up in the air to Will Mallory or to uh even in Keyshawn, Keyshawn Smith, Michael Red, any of these guys, but to throw a 50-50 fade. A fade to the end of the end zone, to the to the corner of the end zone. Because look, TVD has the, the, the he has the talent to say, okay, I'm gonna throw it where only my receiver can catch it. If he can't catch it, it's gonna go out of bounds, right? Or or something like that. I think that was a perfect opportunity to do that, and that's where we did not capitalize. That's where we, I think that's where we kind of squandered an opportunity there. Yeah, there was. I guess I guess to me the 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 issue with that and and you know. Gaddis talked about this today. The the way they were lining up, we should have been able to run against those fronts. They were not, they were, they were not, um, you know, packed in there and giving us those one on ones on the outside. So even in the red zone, they were still at safety help. So you don't want to throw that jump ball into double coverage. Um, and and I think that's where I think his frustration and mine a little bit too was, you know, in the red zone, we didn't make the big block, we didn't break the tackle. Well, you saw us consistently doing it in between the twenties, and I mean, especially on the first drive, we we had that third long, might have been in goal. It was it was definitely more than ten yards because we lost yards and made a penalty or something. And Knighton, it looked like he was going to score, and one of their defenders just stuck his leg out and just tripped him at the last second, and he came up just short. Those are the things where it's just like it's just there, and you're looking at a play call, you're like, it's there, it's there, and 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 so it's kind of like. Uh, I, I, I'm almost sympathetic to Gasp. He's like, we are running over this team. Run the damn ball into the end zone. And it's just, and the receivers can't catch. I'm not throwing a jump ball. And I, and I get from our standpoint, you know, 2020 hindsight, you're like, come on, throw the ball into the end zone somewhere. So at least we, you know, if we somehow catch it, the touchdown, we haven't scored a touchdown. But I think he's looking at it. He's much more um, methodical about it in terms of just, this is the front. There's three men on the line. We can push that around. That's a front new run against. Let's run the ball. And it did not work. Um, so I think the the challenge for him is, all right, now what? Right? Because, look, that game's in the past now. And you, I know you want to talk about Middle Tennessee, but that game's in the past. So in the future, other teams are going to look at that. And we're playing North Carolina three weeks from now, you know, after the bye week. When we get into the red zone, they're going to say, hey, you know, down in the red zone, they're not as effective running the ball. We can stop it and take the pass away too. Now, what's his what's his counter to that? Because at some point, it is on the offensive play caller to hey, even if the formation's dictating, you run at this. It's not working. Where's your right. plan B? Which and by I think the way, his thing was this is going to work eventually, and it never did. Which, by the way, for the North Carolina game, me and Vish are going to be running in a uh, a five and ten k um, before the game. And then we're going to both be at the game together. And he's going to do a pregame with me that day. So yes. I'm pretty excited about yes, that. That'll, that'll be uh, a <laughs> uh, – I am praying for not a noon kick. Oh, my gosh. I know. Tell me about it. Just get Please up do not make that a noon kick. Although, listen, right after the run, we got to get out of there, man. We can't wait around. We I don't know. I don't even know if I, I want to get my particip- participation medal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for an Instagram picture. That's what that participation Well, my, my run starts like an hour before yours, so uh... – Oh yeah, you're right. Your, yours right. will be if yours is if it's noon. Yours will be. You're probably time. gonna you're probably gonna lap me like Max does to to the whole field. But anyways, I, I think I think I, I think I'll still finish before I will though. Uh, yeah, probably. 
um, I digress. Um, real quick for Middle Tennessee State, I think that uh, <laughs> oh DJ. Um, real quick, because you know, listen, this is this is an opportunity for us to kind of get our legs under us again, try some new things, try to get get some playmakers, get the confidence built up in that offense again, those wide receivers. Uh, this is a great opportunity to get some of the younger guys, Zay Horton, Kobe Young, in the game as well, because we're going to need to find those guys that can be consistent, catch the ball, and and make some plays. Um, really, just the keys to the game. I think it's it's simple for me. Okay, it's red zone execution. Okay, it's get the wide receivers going, score a lot of points, and no no uh, regression on defense. I think you need to dominate this game. But we need to see some turnovers. We need to see the defense uh, put their mark on this game, maybe score a defensive touchdown. Uh, but for me, it's uh, on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to focus on the offensive side of the ball. We've got to get some confidence in these wide receivers, and we've got to get better execution in the red zone. DJ, what are your keys to this game against uh, Middle Tennessee State? By the way, um, an alumni of our uh, alumni of my high school plays wide receiver from Middle Tennessee State. So. Uh, uh, awesome. to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead, DJ. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Uh, the keys to me, you kind of just said it, the red zone execution, and then also finding another receiver that can step up, like you said. But I think it's going to be even more important because good programs have more than just one good receiver. We've talked a lot about Xavier Restrepo. He's the 1A. You know, now we need a 1B and maybe even a 1C because good elite programs that can go to that next level and compete in the college football playoff or whatever, they have, you know, multiple weapons that they can go to. So a game like this one against Middle Tennessee State could uh, maybe give us a clue as to if we have a second weapon that can emerge and be of great value when Restrepo comes back, or it could tell us that Restrepo is really the only, you know, big play receiver that we have, in which case we're in some deep trouble. Yeah, I think this is the week that you're going to have to probably work in some different things with the passing game. You don't have Restrepo. I, I know what Blue said about, you know, George was suspended the first two games and he frankly made like one play on, on Saturday. So it wasn't exactly like he was lighting it up. Um, but, but you know, he's got explosive ability. He's got at least that. We're now like down another potential person that can break plays open. So what Samaj Mars said earlier, you know, we got to figure out how to get the ball in Knighton's hands in space, whether it's on screen passes or something. I think that that's key. We tried to do it with Parrish and he dropped the ball. Um, but, you know, I think Knighton in the slot is something we're going to have to look at heavily, especially since um, Island Kane's mentions for some reason, like Thad barely played. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So, that weird. Um, and, and that's probably because there's, look, Knighton and, and Parrish were running the hell out of the ball. It's like, why are you taking – you know, you're rotating them in. They're they're handing it off to each other and kicking butt. But you know, at, at this point, um, stop it, Rob. Stop it, Rob. <laughs> at, at this Jeez. point, I feel like you know, if you gotta take you know half of of Jalen's carries away and give them to Thad and convert those into Jalen, you know, playing some receiver in the slot or you know moving around into doing some interesting things, moving them around the whole formation. I'm on board with that. You need some playmakers on the edge too, and he's probably the best playmaker on our team. So get the ball in his hands other ways than just handing it to him um, is a way we can kind of loosen some of the defense up. You know, do some two two running back stuff where he and Parrish are on the field at the same time. 
there's stuff we're going to have to get creative there and then get creative with our tight ends because that's where the talent is. It's at the tight end and running back position. So I'm curious to see if we make any adjustments there. Um, you know, we mentioned Burchard didn't have a good game and obviously is the uh, had the signature ending to the game. But, you know, he made that ridiculous <laughs> catch against Southern Miz. So what? Like, like Blue said, if you can catch against Bethune-Cookman, why can't you catch it against a Right. So, you know... It's simply a matter of yeah. It's simply a matter of let's get these guys another shot at it. You know, run this run. You know, keep the system going. Don't. I mean, they're always going to make adjustments game to game either way. But like, you know, don't necessarily need to come in with a whole lot of new stuff and just execute it better. Or or is it more of a? (laughs) Is it more of a? All right, we're down too many playmakers. We got to kind of change some some of what we're fundamentally doing to get the ball to Mallory more, to get – oh, Mallory had six catches. We had to to Arroyo more, get it to Knighton on the edge more. Like, those are things where you do have guys you feel can make plays that other than Mallory have not really made the impact on the edge. Knighton was awesome running the ball, but, you know, we want that man in space, right? And, you know, maybe he can return punts too because right. <laughs> yeah. I got some issues. He's going to have to do everything there. Yeah, which I – I don't understand why you don't have, uh, you know, and this is not a knock. <clears throat> this is not a, not a knock on Tyreek Stevens. Yeah, well, clearly we can see that this game made you angry and pissed because you're throwing all sorts of nonsense out there, Rob. Um, I, I still question. You know, Hammer and Hank ain't, ain't with us anymore. But Jazz is ready to, uh, to to assume the throne here. <laughs> I love it, Jazz. I love it. <laughs> no, it, it is. That's fine. Well, that's this fine. Older Miami people like Jazz and I know uh, what I was talking about. But. Yeah, this is. Yeah, this. You know, it's. It's. I get it, man. This is. This is how us Miami fans react to a lot of these games, right? We're, this is how a lot of college football fans are. A lot of college football fans, games. we, we yeah. get a little irrational, we knee jerk a little bit, and that's fine. It is what it is. I'm, I'm just messing with Rob, but uh, yeah, everybody was angry and pissed off about that game. Trust me, I, I totally get that. Um, but you know, and and a lot of them say, "Oh, we've seen this," you know, we've seen this kind of story before. But anyways, um, totally lost my train of thought, but. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. However, we'll have a pregame show. We'll be on Saturday afternoon at around twelve. Uh, sorry, two thirty, uh, live from Hard Rock Stadium. Myself and Larry Bluestein and um, <clears throat> Vish wants to get in. DJ, whatever you guys want, if you guys want to get in. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll do a quick uh, pregame show, um, and uh, we'll start getting ready two three weeks from now for North Carolina as well. But uh, I don't want to look past this game, but I think, you know, this game we just need to come out with some firing and kick someone's butt. Um, and I think that uh, we'll be fine. I think we'll be fine. Uh, you know, tough game. Tough game to drop. Frustrating game to lose. And um, uh, But I think we'll be okay. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Six Rings Canes. You can find us on the podcast platforms as well, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your your podcast we've got some big news coming for you very soon i know we mentioned the fan-sided um partnership but we're gonna have a little bit of a facelift per se um and and we're not talking about these beautiful faces here yeah but, you're not gonna you know um, we're not we're not we're not going you, crazy here you're you gonna get what you're gonna get with us okay we're not tom brady here who, i mean you can't you look know. unlike the offense there's no room for improvement you know yeah, here so it is what know, it is you gotta take it or leave it <laughs> take us or leave us yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah well uh it'll be some exciting times coming here on the six rings canes so make sure you keep it locked to us every monday night at 8 30 p.m and every saturday an hour before game time as well we will have a pregame show maybe not every saturday it depends on how uh, how low our faculties are 
um, in those on those days. But well, we um, definitely we definitely won't in the bye week. But um... no, you definitely won't have a pregame on the bye week. So, um, <laughs> but so yeah, make sure you check us out again uh, this Saturday at two thirty p.m. on the pregame show. We'll definitely talk to you again. Thank you so much to Eric McLean from the Huddle on the ACC Network. What an amazing interview that was. And uh, thank you for all of you guys that are still watching us, that are still hanging out with us right now. Uh, ben, Rob, Vince, uh, the, <clears throat> the, the the cast of Degenerates. I love you all, man. Um, and uh, Kane's fan, it is what it is. We still we still love you guys no matter what. Uh, so thank you guys for, for joining us on the show. Again, follow us on, on Twitter at Six Rings Canes, on Instagram at Six Rings Canes as well uh, for the latest on um, – uh, everything that's going down with the Miami Hurricanes and their football program. Vish, DJ, thank you guys again. Uh, thank you to Blue as well. Oh, man, wait, we got we got to pause here for a second. Whoa, illustrious that? company that I think most of the street doesn't know, but good friends of Jazz and I. Yep. Oh, look, I'm sorry. Before we even go, Vince, I love this. Malik Curtis needs to get a shot at wide receiver too. Yes. Yeah, there's and, some. We and maybe even Chris Graves, right? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about. Well, that. I mean, we're, we were we were. We were wrapping up. They put some really good comments in here. There's some good discussion going on. I'm like, man, it's already been an hour and a half. I know. Why is it? Why is it? Yeah, we're pushing two hours. Two why hours, is it that we're about hours. to leave? So you like, know, we're we about to leave, and you guys are throwing this fire at yeah, us. Yeah, but in like the chat. this is this is excellent. There's like so much good content in the chat right now. So. I know. Where were? Um, come on, you know, there's a good debate on, on how. Yeah, honestly, they were too busy bitching and complaining earlier instead of putting out, throwing out this fire content here. Come on, Rob, Vince, get it together. Jeez. By the way, Jack, just for dropping in, you should probably give us a dono. But that's whatever. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jack, Jack is, is 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 a mainstay on our F1 show. For those that aren't aware, Wednesdays at eight at nine. Yeah, so tune yeah, into that well, too. Wednesdays but, at nine. Yeah, Wednesdays but, but Jack nine. Jack is a friend of friend friend of Jazz and ours that uh. You know, basically all we have to do on that show is just show his comments and read them and laugh. And that's, that's basically it. how that show is. So, yep, so. Good, good to see you on the King Show. Absolutely. Much love to you, Jack. Um, all right, guys. We will see you uh, Saturday afternoon for the pregame show. And uh, then we'll see you on Monday to wrap things up as well as we get into our bye week. Talk to you guys soon. Go Canes. Go Canes. <laughs>